I'm Josh Gonzalez, and welcome to MindMelt. This is a podcast where I have in-depth conversations with some of the brightest people in the known universe. My aim is to spark deep conversations around interesting topics to find the tools, tactics, and philosophies that we can all use in our daily and creative lives. In this episode, I'm joined by Casey Bluestein. Casey is a Toronto-based producer and strategist currently helping accelerate and democratize psychedelic research at a company called Quantified Citizen. Casey was part of the founding team of Transforms.ai, a studio-slash-lab focused on the intersection of AI and storytelling. And he spent his early career working at a virtual reality content production company called Secret Location, where he worked on VR content and products. His projects have received accolades from the Canadian Screen Awards, Venice International Film Festival, and many others. In this episode, we talk about the state of the media industry in this post-COVID world, as well as psychedelics and how its medicinal use will be one of the biggest revolutions in our lifetime. It's a wide-ranging conversation. We talk about a lot of different things around media, technology, and psychedelics, and we kind of go all over the place around those topics. So if you want to learn more about some of the things we talk about or find links to some of the stuff that we mentioned in this episode, you can find all of that in the show notes for this episode. You can find the show notes for this episode on my website at joshgonzalvis.com slash podcast. That's J-O-S-H-G-O-N-S-A-L-V-E-S dot com slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And the direct link to my website is also in the description of this podcast. If you go to the description, click the link, you'll be taken there almost instantly. And as always, if you found anything interesting or thought-provoking in this episode, please share it on social media or wherever you want so that other awesome humans can find this. It's a super noisy world out there, so any recommendations from their friends is a great thing. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. I publish new episodes every week around different topics with new guests every time. Subscribe on whatever app you're listening to this on right now so you can get notified when new episodes go out every week. And with all that being said, let's get right into it. I'm Josh Gonzalez, and this is Mind Meld with Casey Bluestein. All right, Casey Bluestein, thanks for joining me on Mind Meld, man. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm glad to host your first podcast, as far as I know. This is probably the first, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's my first time recording a podcast. I've been interviewed for, like, different things before, but it's my first time doing, like, the podcast format. So, yeah, really excited. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm super excited for this. And I think, like, just for people, like, listening to the podcast, I always love to start off with, like, sort of your story so people can kind of get to know you as a preface to this conversation so they kind of know what you're working on some of the things you've done in the past. I'd love for you to mention your work at Secret Location, the project you just wrapped up, and you're just starting a whole new gig. So it's going to be a really cool place to kind of start because you're like starting a whole new chapter right now. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, So yeah, where do I start about myself? Um, Always love the film industry. Grew up wanting to be a producer. Um, Left university, traveled to 20 countries, 20 odd countries for like a year and a half. Um, Dabbled in the tech world for a little bit. And then Landed at Secret Location, who had just won the first Emmy in VR because, you know, my interest and curiosity for technology and combining that with storytelling was exactly where I wanted to go. 
Um, obviously, VR hasn't taken off to where um, people thought that it was going to be. And, you know, there's still a future there. But it led me to um, starting a company and being on the founding team of a company called Transforms AI or Transitional Forms with one of the founders of Seeker Location. And we just uh, wrapped up our first major project. And we have other projects in like generative music and um, generative storytelling. This one that we just released a month and a half ago called Agents uses reinforcement learning to um, pretty much imbue the characters with a sense of personality and also uh, train them on story structure. So every time someone interacts with it, it leads to infinite branching possibilities. And yeah, so it's very experimental in its nature. Um, it's super, super interesting. Um, and yeah, like the company is now turning some of the technology behind that into a product while also pursuing um, a couple of new projects as well. Uh, like I mentioned in generative music and then another one that uses GPT-2 to um, tell a story um, in a different way than Agents does. It's more of like an infinite story, but with text. And we have it in the form of a Zoom call right now where they're constantly oh, communicating so cool. with each other. And like it ranges from like insightful to philosophical to, you know, it could be sometimes they get racist. Like we don't really know. They're trained what? on. Yeah. Um, How does that happen? Like, what are the inputs that would even lead them into those kind of conversations? So they're trained on a giant corpus of text from mostly from Reddit, but like GPT-2 <laughs> scraped the entire internet. Um, and yeah, like we don't know where it comes from, but they put together very like logical conversations and it's entertaining. And like what we think is interesting about it and like where I think that the, you know, the business model is going for it is some kind of very passive entertainment where someone could just kind of like tune in, tune out where they want to. Like there's no ever like, this is, you have to see this part of it, but it's entertaining. Kind of like this podcast, right? Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a conversation. You can have it on while you're going for a run. Some people, I love to listen to podcasts while I'm at the gym. Mm -hmm. Although I can, it'd be interesting to like listen to two AIs chat while at the gym or just going for a run or something, or even just passively while you're at home. It's such an interesting thing. Like, what do you think, like, what do you think would lead people to want to do something to, uh, like that or actually discover this? Like, hey, yeah, I'll just tune in. Or is it just something that's just always on and, people who are interested drops in, they drop out? Or how do you see that kind of playing out? So I think it's a little bit more of like the Twitch mentality of like someone's having a four hour stream, but people aren't watching the entire four hours, right? right. Um, where this is like, these characters have an interplay with each other and you watch it for 10 minutes, they're talking about one thing and then you come back half an hour later, they're talking about like, I don't know, they're literally quoting, quoting Quant and they're, um, you know, having someone's giving like, well, the little girl has been being given advice by the old man. Um, yeah, they change characters. Like we, we, we constantly are putting like new names and personalities on them every time it refreshes. But the idea is that it's like everlasting content. Like literally as soon as it only ends when we turn it off. Um, is there like a, you know, does it follow a story structure? Does it have like a beginning, middle and end? Is there a hero's journey? Absolutely not. It's totally random, but it's still very much in its proof of concept phase. And so, yeah, like that's the one project, uh, transforms that's that I'm staying on cause it's interesting. Um, fable, oh, that's really which cool. yeah, I'd love to, for you to kind of explain, explain that, how you're sort of a handing things off and where you're, where you're heading now. Sure. So yeah, like the reason that I'm handing things off is because I have a very personal attachment to um you know the crusade that a lot of people are on to legalize uh, psilocybin for therapy uses um just you know some family reasons and like i, I think that it is a technology that's going to change the world and that's ultimately what i want to do and so yeah like i got um I, I got hired by this company called quantified citizen that they are essentially a research platform for psilocybin um it's, it's general like they have an app and a platform that anyone could do a research study on um, but their idea is to empower citizen scientists and researchers um, to be able to like push from the web to this app 
and do like really widespread studies really quickly and accelerate progress in whatever field that they want to. And they're focused on psilocybin to start. And it's awesome. Like they have uh, Paul Stamets, who is involved, um, who's like one of the minds in uh, psychedelic research. Um, yeah, it's, it's super, super interesting and inspiring. Like I definitely think that psychedelics and psilocybin will be a, a technology that people use and leverage for the rest of our lifetimes, at least like for depression, anxiety, lots of different things. It's this missing piece in the healthcare industry that it's, it's, you know, they try to solve things very directly with drugs. And this is more of like an abstract way of looking at it. And maybe that's the way that people should have been looking at it the whole time. Yeah. And the thing I love about it, using it as a medicine, any kind of psychedelics, it's like it does the opposite of like the pharmaceutical industry right now where they get you hooked on it and like, hey, you're going to be on this antidepressant. You have to take it every single day for years. Whereas psychedelics, you're like, you do it once in a year, maybe a few times if it's a clinical trial. But for people who just kind of do it, they're like, no, I'm good. I'm good after one. <laughs> and then, you know, the rest of the year, you kind of work on that. So I think it's going to be huge too, man. So it's really interesting you, you get to like work on these kind of projects. And did you always have a fascination for psychedelics? Like when was the first time you've tried it? Um, probably when I was like 18, 19. Like I've done psychedelics at least once every year since I was like, like for the last 10 years, I'd say. I've done it on four different continents. Like I've definitely had my experiences, mostly recreational, I'd say. And I've had a lot of fun. Um, but suddenly, like at some point, they started turning a little bit more insightful. And like without even realizing why or like that this was happening, I started to really have like solve decisions in my life or make decisions and start to really think things through in a different way than I had before. And I started kind of self-medicating, um, you know, not often, like, you know, once or twice a year, maybe three times a year. And if I had a decision to make or, or something that was really bothering me or, you know, I was at a, a crossroads at some point, um, I would take it. And there's no straight line to get to those answers, but this would be a different way of looking at it entirely. And I started to see the benefits. And then in the last like three years or so, since Michael Pollan released his book, uh, How to Change Your Mind, it's really taken off. Like, you know, the can, I think cannabis and cannabis research and legalization has kind of been the gatekeeper and or not that rather that I mean, but what I mean by that is that without cannabis becoming legalized, there wouldn't be a conversation about psychedelics becoming legalized and cannabis right. has amazing uses. Psychedelics are going to solve a lot more problems for people. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens. Like it's becoming a lot more widespread, like family members of mine that I net, like I would have been terrified to tell them that I, I did mushrooms 10 years ago are now kind of going and doing it on their own. And it's becoming a lot really? more like, totally, totally. Like, but are they doing, how are they doing it? Are they finding like a, like a shaman or are they just kind of like finding the psilocybin and doing it recreationally? Like how have they been doing it? it it's a mix of things. Like I think that um, a lot of them are just, you know, getting a bag, just getting a good old bag of mushrooms and eating them and going and doing their thing. But there's also a lot of, there's a big underground community in Toronto and in Canada um, and on yes. the West coast of the States. And yeah, there's a lot of like pills that people are taking um, a lot of, you know, that has like very like specifically dosed. Um, yeah. Like people are finding it in different ways, chocolates, you know, edible, yeah. similar to cannabis, like, Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Like <laughs> that's awesome. So, where does quantified human play a, a role in all of this? Yeah. So, quantified quantified, hu quantified citizens. Sorry, I keep thinking of quantum humans. Like you know, um, the <laughs> the 3D scanning startup in Toronto. Totally, totally. Quantified quantum, capture, quantum, humans. quantum yeah, capture. Yeah, yeah. Quantum yeah. capture. So now my brain just all jumbled. See, quantified citizen. How does a uh, quantified citizen play into all of this? So I guess it was a little bit of a story of their background. Like it's it's the director of Maps Canada that started the company. Um, cool. and, and the other founder is, you know, on a lot of boards of a lot of different like associations for, for psychedelic use. Um, uh, but anyways, like they pretty much, they've built this app that anyone could download and on the app is hosted a bunch of different studies, right? 
Um, on the other side of it, you have like a platform that anyone can build research. Anyone can build like a very specific study and a very specific image. And it's very, it's very flexible to a lot of different needs of different organizations and research institutes. Um, and yeah, they could push it either to that app or you make them, there's another version of it that's coming out called Confices and Pro, where someone could do like a, basically have their own, some, you scan a QR code, you download the app and it's like a specific survey that someone takes. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting approach to it and it's rather, rather than companies like Field Trip and there's a few, there's a, yeah, there's a company called Maya Health that are focused on like the clinical part of it and actually administering the therapy and like what goes with it. Also a very right. interesting side of it. This is more on the accelerating the research part of it, right? This is more, um, let's get the best researchers in the world to use this platform to be able to actually accelerate the research and circumvent the whole PhD and master's student and research cycle, which takes often many, many years. And let's get this information in front of people. Let's make it accessible. And so anyone can do it. Like I could download the app and, and take a survey. A yeah, take yeah, a exactly. survey at least. So how would that work? What is the sort of customer journey or the the user experience of it? Like how does the actual product work in conjunction? with uh, the psilocybin that's really interesting that i could just like pick up the app and do that myself yeah so right now if you're like an end user so if you're someone that's at like a participant is what we're calling it um you're we don't we're not giving you any substances right obviously that part of it's of illegal it's you're yeah. relying on people to kind of um you know join the study and then you're prompting them to continue to do the study over like x amount of days whatever the study right. goes for so yeah like it's, it's getting information about you it's anonymous um but yeah, like it's it's solving a big need for researchers, which is a getting their right. studies to lots of people and b making it really fast and really efficient. So it's a definitely like you know research is a is an area I'd never thought I'd work in, but this is like a very particular niche of research that is super exciting and like on the cutting edge. And the results that we're seeing from it are amazing so far. So I just started this week. I haven't seen that many results, but the ones I've read yeah. are amazing. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I will definitely have to do a part two when you're like a few months into the journey and you've learned a few things and kind of going through the product um, and you know just working there because I know that's what I'm kind of getting at here is that you kind of just started this whole chapter and it's really interesting you went from like VR to like AI to like psychedelics which is like to me those are like three like natural progressions right like mm -hmm. VR and psychedelics like those communities are so tightly knit right now like mm -hmm. so many people who do um, use VR on the regularly, they are like psychonauts, as we call them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and vice versa, people who are into psychedelics love VR because I think like VR is another type of like almost visual psychedelic, you know? Like, did you have that same kind of experience when you first tried? Actually, when was, when was the first time you tried VR? Like, did you do like Oculus DK2, DK1 kind of thing? Yeah. So uh, the first time I ever tried VR and what really got me into VR was um, I was in India and I was couch surfing. Um, with this uh, this this doctor or medical student, and he was just interested in VR and like you know super super early adopter, and he got a DK one shipped out to India, and wow. yeah, like I tried it at his place, and it was really interesting. Like you know, it was, it was I was hanging out with people that were like students, and so like pretty like well off Indians, but they had never been to North America. They had never like Indians generally don't travel too far outside of India. Um, it's it. I mean, it's a pretty much like a world to itself, and. Yeah. Yeah, like it was amazing to see how transportative VR was for them, right? Like, you know, I, I felt very privileged that I got to be there, but suddenly I saw the potential for them, you know, people that don't get to be able to do that kind of thing to go other places. And so, you know, a few months later when I got back, I started going to like VR meetups in Toronto um, and really starting to bang down the doors of like the countries, the companies in Toronto that I saw were working on it. And that's how I ended up at Secret Location. Yeah, and that's awesome. I think that's the perfect VR company to land on for the first time because... 
I would say like even right now in Toronto, they're like one of the top, like they're just putting out consistently great work. Like I love it. I mean, Josh was still working there. Uh, he's been on the podcast before old colleague of yours. Did you end mm-hmm. up working with them? Did you guys do any projects together? Um, I think I was in like two meetings ever with Josh, which is funny. Like we were wow. talking the other day, like if we were both still working at secret location, we probably wouldn't have known each other because of COVID, right? Like we right. wouldn't have, we wouldn't have ever crossed paths, but yeah, he's become a good friend of mine. Um, that's crazy. What projects were you working on at the time when you were there? Um, so I worked on a product called Vuser, which was, oh, uh, nice. so yeah, it's a 360 and VR white label distribution platform. Um, uh, it was the idea of it was to like enable publishers to be able to put out their con their content on all the different headsets. Um, so yeah, we got premium publishers on it. We had a template app as well for more of like a you know B two B smaller rather than just focus on the on the high end of the market like mid to low end. Um, yeah, so that was interesting and it was a cool experience working with like really premium names. Um, but obviously, my heart was always in the content, and so um, for my last six months there, I asked to uh, join the content team and I worked in development. And yeah, like we, I had you know i had my hands on like five or six different prototypes while i was there and also like helped run the development process for the projects that they're now working on like you know like it's either they have like three major productions and all three of those are ones that like i touch at some point so that's cool and then yeah i left towards the end of the year to join transitional forms that was kind that's of so 2018 awesome. yeah so, so that was like your transition into like more content right you were like purely doing content yeah because yeah. you said they were going to productize it after but it started out as like a, just a content piece right you guys toured it at uh, some pretty major festivals didn't you um agents yeah um yeah yeah so like i mean transitional forms didn't start around agents it like that we had right. a few other pieces a few other uh, projects that we had worked on earlier um one of them in generative music trying to map music theory cool. onto machine learning or machine learning onto music theory um another one that was focused on deep fakes um, there's been a lot of different things that we've touched, but agents was the one that like, you know, was totally original that was, our, you know, ourselves in the NFB working on it. And yeah, we had, we, we won some money to make that, or we, we had some investors and yeah, we built that over like a year and a half. Like it was a really like a small team that we wanted to spread out the project schedule as long as we could. So, um, yeah, machine learning stuff and AI, putting AI into a game engine also is something that hasn't been done too much. So we feel like we were pioneers in that to a certain regard. Yeah, man. And like, I feel like you're a pioneer it, well in vr at the time too i would say around the around the time that Vuser came out and that was like maybe like gear vr days right i was mm. like when it was you still had to slide a phone to a headset i would yeah. put that in the pioneering section right <laughs> anytime if you're working on vr before like 2018 like you're a pioneer in vr it's I crazy think, you yeah. went from that to pioneering like machine learning and ai and now technically pioneering uh psychedelics because that's still in such like an early phase of the industry so like for you, like, is is that what you look for when you're like looking at products and projects? Because we were talking about this before, where it was like, you know, the stuff you're working on sounds sexy, but mm-hmm. then it maybe doesn't monetize and it doesn't grow into the industry in the way you might think it does. So, like, mm-hmm. do you think about that, like the pioneering aspect of it, knowing that's gonna be tough and knowing that you might not even get traction because it's it's a tough like part to be in. It's like before early adopters, you know, that's like way way early. Totally, totally. So like, I would make the argument that people that are in VR now and in like, you know, AI creativity or what's being called synthetic mm-hmm. media are still pioneers, right? Like it's still totally. so early. Like the internet was only invented 25 years ago and, or not invented, but like, you know, became widespread 25 yeah. years ago. Like, you know, VR has been around for five years, or at least like Oculus was bought five years, kind of when people see this cycle of VR starting. But 
the content and the hardware that's around right now is still going to look like, you know, it's going to look like a Betamax tape in like three years. And, you know, I don't know when it'll have widespread adoption and and ubiquity, but, um, you know, people that have experience working in it now are going to be considered pioneers. Um, But yes, like I definitely think about that all the time. Like I go for things that are sexy and things that I'm interested in. Like I'm just very curious by nature and I'm always trying to get into things like you know, I like to be the first to find out about things. And I have that in a lot of different parts of my life. I always try to like recommend things to people and like find out about a movie earliest or a book earliest or this thing earliest, this restaurant, whatever. Um, And yes, like I've definitely had that feeling of like, maybe I'm too early with these things. And I think with VR, it was very much in my face. Like I joined a company that looked like they're on a really, really big growth trajectory. And then the growth just never happened. Right. And so in a corporation that, um, you know, they were bought by E1, um, everyone was kind of braced to like really grow fast in their careers and, and in terms of like what we were working on. And that just never really came. Um, with AI, it's the same kind of thing, right? Like I think that that'll be possibly even slower than VR because it's really, really, really hard to use AI with creativity. Like a lot of uh, researchers will make the claim that the last frontier of AI is um, it's even closer, maybe even beyond general, like artificial general intelligence is the ability for a machine to be creative. And there's experience, there's, there's a lot of examples of that. Like there's a ton of different things that people are working on right now, whether it's generating poetry or it's, you know, something along the lines of what we're doing and trying to make characters like Lil Michaela or, um, what Fable's doing with Lucy and trying to put Lucy into an experience, um, and have people interact with her. It's tough. It's it's hard to get good results. It's hard to get things that actually make a difference for people um, that that inspire certain feelings. And the the ideas are there. It's just people getting the right talent and being able to afford the right machine learning talent to work on this for like many years um, might take a while. It might be a few years until we have like the the piece that people look back on is like this was the beginning of something new. But I do think that that will come. And there's always going to be the problem of machine learning talent is like outrageously expensive. Like I've literally had developers who are fresh out of university, like, you know, bottom to middle of their class, ask me for 150K a year without having ever a job before. It is, it's it's nuts. And like, this was like a guy with like not even a good resume. Um, Is it just because it's so specialized and so difficult? Yeah. Yeah, it's machine learning is like what people think of as developers were like, you know, it's a nerdy guy in his basement like in front of a screen for 12 hours at a time, like that is actually applicable to machine learning. Like it is hard and it's a lot of time that you have to put in and it's very much trial and error. Like even the best machine learning researchers spend most of their times getting bad results. Jeez. So you just have to be okay with failure and just be like, yeah, we might not get anywhere, but we're just going to try. It's all an experiment, right? It's a, you know, like within yeah. machine learning, you could always tweak parameters and try to optimize more, but you may not get the results that you want. Um, so yeah. So like what did you find? What, well, so like while you're working on that, like what did you find a, uh, to be like the most surprising thing mm-hmm. and what's something that you find, um, people maybe overstate, like again, with VR, with the growth, um, with AI, like what were they kind of like over, overstating? But I think the first thing, yeah, it's just being like, what was like something interesting that you learned while working on that, that you did not expect? Um, Hmm. I mean, I learned, I've, I've learned a lot of interesting things about both VR and AI, but um, with, with AI in particular, it's, um, you know, I, I always, when I'm working on a new technology, I try to like actually go and take like a university level course, whether it's like a Coursera one or actually like go to a local Toronto university and like learn about it. So I learned a lot about machine learning over the last couple of years. And like, you know, I got a couple certificates, whatever. Um, I learned that machine learning is very much based on numbers. Um, and that's the thing that 
um, I think a lot of people miss about it. Like, you know, there's all these sexy products out there and, you know, it's, it's, it's always going to be like, everything's tied to the numbers in machine learning. So when you're trying to do something creative, it really does end up being math. Machine learning right. is math, right? It's math and statistics. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one thing. And then with VR, um, yeah, I mean, something that I've learned is that it, VR is the empathy machine for, for content. It's the empathy machine that you'll never make someone feel the way that they can in VR versus any other platform. And like, that's why I'm going to stick with it. Um, you know, I definitely see myself returning to it in some kind of context at some point, whether it's like cool. a metaverse type company or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's how much, how, how people's brain reacts in VR is always going to be different. Like, you know, we were talking about that in the context of psychedelics earlier. Um, like right. it does in a way it is like, like taking a drug and, and being, having an out of body experience. But when you're actually totally. doing practical things with it, whether it's training or therapy or, um, yeah, it's, it's how people respond to that versus anything else that I've seen is, is magical. And yeah. I, I really hope that it becomes more widespread for that reason alone. Yeah, totally. And I can definitely see those three things kind of coming together. I was just actually on a podcast the other night and I kind of brought that up as like being, you know, I think for VR as well, I think therapy will will be one of the greatest use cases for it. Mm. Like you don't even have to pair that with psychedelics, but I mean, when you do, it's like super powerful, right? I mean, mm. it could also be a little scary. Have you ever done <laughs> psychedelics and then tried VR? Um, at Burning Man, I was on LSD. And I randomly found a guy doing VR in the middle of the desert. So I guess that counts. But and like, you tried it? Did you try it? Did yeah, you yeah. Go into VR? Really? So what yeah. was your experience with that? I was honestly more blown away that I was doing VR in the middle of the desert than I was by yeah. the experience itself. But um, yeah, I mean, it was cool. Like, I guess I, there were, I, it was Burning Man. So I had, you know, you're yeah. so full of like adrenaline and like you have so many other things going on that it wasn't like, wow, like yeah. VR and, and um, VR and psychedelics are amazing. It was more like, oh, this is interesting. Like, what do I do next? You know? Or I just wonder if like you had like a weird, a different type of experience with like so being in a different dimension, basically. Like, I don't know if like, because when you're on LSD, you already feel like you're in a different dimension. Like, I wonder if that just kind of amplified it or you kind of just got freaked out. Because I don't know, sometimes I get paranoid on certain mm-hmm. psychedelics. You know, I'm sure people always have like little dark turns and I'm like, I will, I can't touch VR when I'm on psychedelics. Like, I need to be <laughs> out in nature. I need to just be out free. Um, I don't know if Marissa wants me to talk about this, but one time when we did shrooms <laughs> together, I even tried to take out my phone and my iPad. And I remember taking it out of my hand and she was just like throwing it in the middle of the forest. She's like, no technology. And then I started feeling that too. I'm like, I, yo, I don't want to look at technology. It's so <laughs> weird. So, but that could have just been the one time. I don't think that's like every single time, but I don't know. So it's interesting. You didn't really experience that at all. You're just like, ah. Oh. More because it was like a surprise that I felt like it wasn't a very intentional experience. I was just very much like a wandering person in the middle of the desert. And um, did you go alone? This was, I mean, like Burning Man, there's always like an ebb and flow to things. Like you're with your friends and then you lose them and then you find them later. It's the greatest thing ever. Like, um, but yeah, this was like, I was literally riding my bike in the middle of the desert at like three in the morning. And like these two guys were like had an installation in the middle of the desert with their VR experience. I was like, okay, this is random as hell, but I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, so definitely, like, I've definitely never had like the intentional like I'm going to do VR tonight while on mushrooms and see how that responds, mm-hmm. see how that actually manifests. Um, sounds interesting though. Yeah. So do you think like out of all those things, like VR would be the thing you come back to rather than trying to get back into AI? Because I think that's like further, further down the road before it's even really fully feasible. But I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts on this because I've been having the same feelings with VR too. Because I still run a VR company. Technically, mm-hmm. we kind of put things in hibernation mode 
we do something similar to what you described with Vuser, um, mm-hmm. but with like the events industry. And we kind of just got like decimated uh, with COVID this year, right? Mm-hmm. Because of, you know, we were, we were focusing on bringing VR to film festivals and events and conferences. And that's not going to happen. Maybe not even next year. So I had to, I was forced to put things on pause, which is kind of good because mm-hmm. maybe it gives me the perspective to kind of like look at it from like a higher angle. And then, you know, it's like taking 10 steps back to take like 50 steps forward, you know? So totally. I've been just kind of forced to be like, Hey, you know what? I think we need to like pause this and like, you know, VR might not get to that point that you think for like another five years or something. So you're always thinking like, okay, I'll come back to it. Um, and I was asking a bunch of people on the podcast too, like, can you put projects on hold? So maybe that's a good question for you. Do you think that's something you can put on hold and come back to, or do you think like with companies, you kind of just need to kind of go for it and just keep running? Cause if there was something like secret location, they couldn't just like pause. Cause they're at such a big, mm-hmm. uh, they're at such a big level with so many employees and stuff. We were lucky while we we're still a small startup. I could kind mm-hmm. of like just have like a skeleton crew and it's nothing too big. But, um, yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. If it, you think it's feasible to kind of come back to these things. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of the VR companies that I've seen that either like I've worked with or, you know, I've been following Upload and Road to VR for years and actually, you know, seeing all the news and I follow all these people on Twitter. And so like I I still have my finger on what's going on in VR. Most of the companies that like started out at the outset of VR have either pivoted or they've they've shut their doors, right? The ones that are still around are either like making AAA type games. They've been acquired by Oculus or they're getting funded by, you know, a wealthy benefactor or something like that. Um, or they're like in therapy or, you know, like the, the real like practical or enterprise uses training um, enterprise. Yeah yeah. 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 So I don't think it's a lot of these content companies are going to be able to, um, a lot of them are, have already pivoted or like have moved on to something like you, a lot of them have even moved on to like outside of VR. Maybe it's AR, maybe it's like, um, you know, they're doing the same thing, but for mobile and just the same, the right. same principles to it. Um, so yeah, like I, but I do think that there will be like a second dawn of VR to a certain extent. Um, I think that'll be tied to this idea of the metaverse and you know, like uh, social interaction, like like uh, what's what's the word that Matt Ball uses, like uh, you know, having everyone in the same place. I forget the exact yes. word, but yeah, like everyone in a in a shared social space that that's present and synchronous. Um, yeah, so I think that it'll come back eventually. Um, but for me, like, I just kind of want to keep my eye on it until that happens. I think that all these people that are pioneers in VR, like, um, the, the, like, it never really came. It never really hit where, like, it became this widespread thing. The Quest 2 is an amazing sign. Like, I just spoke to a VC the other day that said, you know, he's a gaming VC. And he said, I was very much a VR bull or a VR bear until the Quest 2 came out. And now I'm starting to think about it and we're starting to talk to a lot more VR companies. So there's definitely, That's like, good. glimmers of hope in there. So you're but, seeing it come back with the Quest 2. I think well, and, and it was, VCs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I think it's now starting to get people's attention on it, right? Like now there's a lot yeah. more it's a more streamlined process to get people in VR and um yeah. Oculus is never going away. Like we know that. Like there's always gonna yeah. be this champion of it. So Oculus and all the companies that are associated with Oculus probably are gonna be able to hang on. Um but yeah, it's it's more a matter of like when people are ready to culturally accept VR into their lives. Yeah. I don't know when that's gonna happen, right? Like that's the you can make the best content. There already is some of the best stories are happening in VR. And the Quest 2 has however many billions of dollars in in R&D put into it. So you have the hardware, you have content, Um, content's only going to get better. But when we have a pandemic where people are forced to be inside. Totally, totally. So you think all the pieces are coming together for this, right? It seems like it from the outside. It looks like it would be. And taking another step on that, like you're having this big migration of, of people from major city centers 
and they're going to want to be able to see their friends, right? Like, you know, in the context of Toronto, like if suddenly my friends, you know, were 28, people are going to start buying houses in the next few years and people, instead of living downtown, if they only have to go into Toronto once a week, um, they they go in, you know, they buy a house by a lake or in a, in a suburb somewhere that's like an hour or two away from Toronto. Um, the problem with that is that your your social interactions are going to be very different, right? Like you're not going to go right. to like the local bar and like hang out with locals if your friends are all an hour away. Um, or if you do, it's like, it's not quite the same. So I, just, I see VR having a really big piece in that, right? Like what people are doing now with like, you know, doing Jackbox games and, and doing Zoom, like, I don't know, presentation house party. night. Yeah, house, house party, party. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah getting on Fortnite and doing like a Zoom call at the same time kind of thing. Like all the Discord communities. Like I do see that becoming a little bit more like metaverse um, Yeah. You know, and having a way to connect people like that. And I do think that once VR is good enough to have that synchronous interaction with your friends, that, it you know, you're out of the Uncanny Valley and you're able to actually like have a face-to-face conversation with a friend and their head doesn't fall off in the middle. Like I could see, I could see it coming back and I don't think we're that far away from it. So no, no man. I'm like, even with this quest too, like we're so close. Do you have a mm. quest or a quest? No, two? I've been thinking about buying one. I would highly recommend getting a quest too. I'd, I would imagine a lot of people are going to get it for Christmas. So knock mm-hmm. on wood, man, maybe you'll just get yeah. it for Christmas. It's a great gift, but um, cause it's so cheap now, right? Like I'm Thinking about it, I'm getting a, a, a new iPhone. I haven't had an iPhone since the 5S. Mm-hmm. As soon as the new one came out, I'm like, yeah, I'll get an iPhone. I'll go back <laughs> to Apple and just try something. Try something new. Awesome. But then I realized that price is three times, like for the Pro at least, it's three times the price as mm-hmm. a Quest. So you can get three <laughs> Oculus Quests for the price of an iPhone. Crazy, People are right? saying that VR is still too expensive. Like, doesn't make any sense to me. So we're there with the price point yeah. and we're there with the experiences, man. Like, even during... Well, here's the thing, dude. Like, I think you're right. It's, it's going to come down to the cultural, the cultural uh, adoption of it because we have mm. the technology, we have the experiences. It's all there. Uh, I, I recently started playing, or I guess experiencing big screen vr with friends lately mm-hmm. i don't know if you yeah you sure yeah, yeah, have it, but of for it. anyone listening it's basically like you can set up like a, a movie theater or any kind of space basically now they kind of change it so it's not just a movie theater but mm-hmm. the the premise is like you have this big home theater and you can throw whatever you want anything you want up on that screen so you can put like youtube on there even you can put on netflix you can watch movies anything you can even just browse the web and then you can invite friends to your space and you can watch it together. So you can like watch movies together. So I started having like these like basically call it guys night when I was hanging out with a bunch of friends. And instead of inviting them over to my physical apartment, which I would have mm-hmm. pre-COVID, they would just come here. We would have a couple drinks. And what do you do? You like watch YouTube videos or in the case of us, like we all do play VR. We bring a bunch mm-hmm. of headsets and, at our house and we kind of play these uh, multiplayer experiences. But now you can kind of like replicate that in vr and like you know i haven't seen friends or at least like hung out with them in their apartment or my apartment in so long (laughs) and this did such a great job at replicating that like you throw up anything on the screen we're watching like youtube videos and you're just hanging out and you feel like you're in the same 3d space together and it works really well and then there's like really cool like again like they're almost like psychedelic experiences if you've ever tried half and half um no i haven't all vr man honestly it's so good like it's it's um four pl- up to four player kind of uh, multiplayer experience, and they have all these just wacky like psychedelic like experiences that you can like kind of hang out with friends. They have some games like they have like this hide and seek game, which is so much fun. But they have other ones where you're just kind of floating around in space together, like you're on like this hang glider and you're just floating around. And to have a conversation like that, and you're chatting with someone, but you're both just like flying in the air. There's something about that. Like I love Zoom because it 
people are used to this for a podcast, but mm-hmm. we could have just as easily, if you had a quest, put on the headset, put the mic here, and then we're in the same 3D space together doing the, the episode. Like it'd be so interesting to see how that plays out, like with content, like user generated content in VR. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's what the future is going to look like. I don't know yeah. when that future comes, though. Like it's, you know, people have been ruminating on this idea of the metaverse for so long. And then, you know, like Snow Crash has the idea of the metaverse. Ready Player One made it 10 times better. Um, way better. Yeah, way, way better. But yeah, like it's, I think it's, it's setting that foundation of like having present, you know, people being in a synchronous social environment that's virtual made in a game engine of some kind. Um, but it's going to start you think it needs to be multi-platform. Cause like, you know, for people yeah. who are just relying on their phone, I guess it would. Right. But then, I mean, so we're both followers of Matt Ball, but he also does talk about it as not being a single experience, but just like mm-hmm. multi-connected experiences. So like you said, you could be the Discord communities mixed with some VR, mixed with like House Party, and it's all these different tools, but then we're mm-hmm. accessing it just through virtual portals. Like, it sucks right now that we're, we have to go through like this screen, like this 2D screen. Yeah. Like it was, you look like you're like literally in a portal here. Whereas <laughs> with the headset, you go with, with VR, you just feel like you're both together in that virtual space together instead of just looking mm-hmm. through a little window. Like there's something really magical about it. Yeah, I agree. Like it's, I think that it will happen. I think that like VR is, is too, it will be too good to fail. Um, it's like you said, it's just the cultural relevancy of it. Like when are people going to be okay putting something on their face? You see like analyst reports from like the big four accounting firms and from like, you know, from, from all the big investment banks. And the common thing that you see in those is that people, when they're surveyed, just don't like putting something on their face. And so it's a form factor thing for sure. The quest two solves a lot of that, but when is it going to be at a, at a point where like, it might be a generational thing, right? Like our generation has grown yeah. up with film and with TV and, you know, when they tried to give us 3D TVs, it didn't work out because people just did, you know, didn't want to put the, the 3D glasses on in their living room. They want to be comfortable. Um, the next generation, it's, it's shifted a lot more to games, um, games, interactive experiences, communities, like very, very much being online and like connecting with your friends online and playing yeah. games and, and, you know, sending Snapchat pictures, videos. Um, I think Snap minis are going to be big for that reason. Um, but maybe it's that generation or maybe it's the one after where it becomes like, okay, this generation is now okay with virtual worlds, right? So they, their they, kids, they're teaching their kids and they're kind of growing up with that technology from scratch. Totally. Man, it is definitely a generational thing. I was thinking about it um, just like today, honestly, while I was going on a walk outside and it was just like, our generation, we're doing Zoom calls and we're doing like Google Meet. Maybe that's partially because like we're in the workforce now, you know, we're out mm-hmm. of school and stuff. But then I just see like my younger cousins who live out in Coburg, like yeah. two hours away from the city. And they're meeting up with their friends on Roblox. Like they're not yep. on flat little video screens. They're walking around in 3D space on their laptop and tablets. Mm-hmm. Like they're already used to that metaverse already. Totally. It's crazy. But do you think it's going to be them that's okay to, you know, throw in a VR headset? Or do you think that's going to be something that they originate and like becomes a little bit more widespread with Gen Z and then like either their kids or whatever generation comes after that? Um, what comes after Gen Z? Gen Alpha. Oh, no. My friend Is it actually, Alpha? Yeah, it's Gen Alpha. Really? It goes well, it makes Z sense. Alpha. Z, then it goes back to A. Yeah. <laughs> makes a lot more Weird, sense. Weird. Uh, millennials, Gen Z, Alpha. Huh. I don't know who made that. The system. alphas are taking over. Yeah, yeah man. Gen Z is taking over. I can't even imagine what the alphas are going to be like. They're going to, I mean, listen, like you want to get futurist here, like Gen Alpha may never die, right? Really true. I'm yeah. hoping that I can live long enough that I don't, I never die. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Maybe I don't. I don't know, man. I have mixed feelings about that. Philosophically, what do you think about that? Like, would you want to preserve yourself if you could? Like, if the people I love, your consciousness, I don't know. If the people I love were also around, then yes. Um, And the other caveat there is that I'd also want to make sure that I had like a young, not necessarily my young body, but like a younger body. Like, if I'm old and I'm like, you know, I have creaky joints and it sucks to get out of bed. Like, I don't want to live forever. I'm ready to go at some point. But if I'm like you know, my, my 30 year old, 40 year old, 50 year old self, like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Like if I could have my wife and a few of my friends and we could just like hang out in a retirement home that just never ends somewhere, maybe in the metaverse, who knows? Right. Have you seen upload? It's on Amazon, Amazon Uh, original. No, I haven't, man. You, you haven't, um, (laughs) most people have prime. I'm assuming you're a millennial living downtown Toronto. You have prime. Don't you? You have Amazon prime. I think, yeah, I think I do. (laughs) <laughs> okay. i just generate Watch a bunch of show. email addresses and like <laughs> make it free free trials of prime yeah, yeah you're gonna love it it's amazing it's basically the idea as if like facebook basically created the metaverse and then mm-hmm. people who die they can upload their brain to um i can't remember the name of it but there's a bunch of different like networks in it mm-hmm. but it's basically a retirement home for like the afterlife and then your friends and family can still message you through vr but your consciousness is uploaded into the server but it's mm-hmm. funny because it's like because it's like a facebook like company that takes it over or like an amazon type company that takes it over there's like microtransactions mm-hmm. in it so there's all these people who were like were poor and they died, but they got uploaded and they're living in like basically jail. Like they can't do anything because you have to pay for everything like with, with virtual currency. So, I mean, if this is obviously satire and it's kind mm-hmm. of like a really long Black Mirror episode, but it gives you a funny idea of how it could actually be if like a shitty corporation took it over. So if you were going to be uploaded <laughs> to VR, I would hope it's just like open source. You have access to everything like the Internet. It's not like too corporate <laughs> Well, that's what this whole like, um, like the surprising thing that's emerged around the metaverse is blockchain and how blockchain is going to be really important in it, right? Like the metaverse may not be able to happen unless there's interoperability between platforms, like similar to what you're mentioning before, like you should be able to go to from Roblox to Minecraft to, you know, and drive your Rocket League car over there seamlessly. Um, But yeah, like it's, I mean, Facebook right now owns the metaverse. They're doing their best chance of trying. Yeah. but yeah, like it's a lot of people that are, you know, futurists, but also have investment power, you know, Inter- Galaxy Interactive is a big one. There's a few in a few in England that I know of. Um, they're really focused on like blockchain, both as a currency for the metaverse and also um, for how things are owned and how properties allocated. Um, the concept of an NFT is getting really big. Like Lil Michaela yesterday just sold NFT art for 80 or 125 or something either or Ethereum. What, what do you mean is- NFT? um non-fungible tokens so essentially yes like the big thing right now is nft art a lot of these artists are like creating 3d art in like a game engine or dude i bought one recently yeah show you something yeah yeah no i'd love to see it's actually a physical art piece cool if anyone's watching this on youtube you'll be able to see it if not uh i probably posted on it somewhere (laughs) very cool oh that is that is trippy i love that so this this is uh and you can see on the back here there's like uh, it's too bright. Okay. Number yeah. 45 out of 100. Very cool. So it's also tied to basically a cryptocurrency. So it's using yeah. this platform called Foundation. Mm-hmm. And 
there you could either buy the tokens based on this artist right and just trade the tokens or you can buy this and then it's kind of like i guess attached to the token so mm-hmm. the idea is that the value can kind of go up because there's only a certain amount of it exactly it's actually exactly. yeah it's exactly what you just described i didn't know it was called nft now i learned something new man this is awesome good i'm glad i'm glad to impart some knowledge for you and you, you will use that on your next podcast that, that's great nft um, yes <laughs> This is going to be no, the title of this. There's yeah. a lot of money flying around in that space, like right now. Like, there's this big yeah. group, like, there's this $300 million uh, VC fund called Galaxy Interactive, and they like mostly invest in interactive media and games. And he just started this Discord group, and he's doing, like, this guy, Richard Kim, is doing like NFT auctions. And people are buying these pieces for like thousands of dollars. Like if you're a if you're a game uh, artist or a 3D artist of any kind, like that is what you should be working on 100%. I've already converted a couple of 3D artists I know to start thinking that way. Um, Really? Yeah. And the idea is that like yeah, it's it's like owning a piece of the metaverse almost, or owning a piece of the internet. Um, There's this company out of Vancouver called Dapper Labs, and they created CryptoKitties. Are are you familiar with CryptoKitties? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, so they've expanded that CryptoKitties concept to uh, the NBA, and they have this thing called NBA Top Shot, and it's like you own a highlight, pretty much. Um, And it sounds hokey. It sounds like the new version of trading cards. Dude, like, apparently the Kawhi shot went for, like, half a million dollars. Like, people are paying for this stuff. I don't know if I ever would, but, like, it's, it's wild. Well, that's a, that's a really good interest. What's an interesting thing to me is like what you hold as valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's only 100 of these pieces of art made. And I don't know if you'll actually be able to see on here, but that image has actually been my phone background for a while, for months before I bought this thing. So mm-hmm. to me, it had value because I really, really love the piece of art. I love that artwork. It really just spoke to me. And then when I saw it, it did that crazy, shiny, metallic mm-hmm. uh, effect. I was like, holy shit, I need to have it. And maybe <laughs> I think she sold the hundred of them. But how many people in the world really care about that? Again, how many people care about the Kawhi shot? How many people care about Pokemon cards, yet they're still selling for half a million dollars as well, right? It's just value when it comes to Bitcoin or money or whatever it is. It's just, <laughs> if is, is it valuable to the person who wants to buy it? And what are they what are they willing to pay for? That's basically all it comes down to. Totally, totally. And like I think like to expand on that also, like people want to own a piece of something, right? Like eventually right. it's almost like staking a claim. It's it's like why it, when America was first formed, like, you know, they drew up pieces of plots of land and people buy them and people bought them. People now can buy pieces of the internet and, and the really nice parts of the internet. Right. And it's, it's, right. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting thought. Like it's, it's staking ownership over something in a decentralized way um, that in order to like enable the metaverse. No. <laughs> it's super interesting man it's like it's these kind of topics where like a lot of people that i know um they, it's not that they don't have the capacity to talk about these things it's just their mm. interests don't lie in the inter- intersection of these type of things like there's only a few people especially in the city that i am aware of that are kind of interest uh, into these kind of things mm-hmm. that are able to make these sort of connections between these multiple industries because i really really believe that where the really interesting uh things are going to come out in the next like 10 20 30 years it's going to be in the intersection of these things it's where you start mm. taking bits and pieces of like, you know, the psychedelic industry and how does it apply to blockchain and how can you sprinkle a little bit of AI, whether it's not actually AI tech, but the mm. way it's made or the thought process behind it. So it's really interesting that you go deep on each one of these topics. Like you're just saying you did some like university level courses on like machine learning and AI VR. I think the only thing you could really do, especially at the time was like 
just do it. Like you can't really learn about it, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. And now a psychedelic, like you can read about it all you want, but until you've taken psychedelics, you don't really know. There's and no way to describe it. Yeah. You can't describe Same with the VR yeah. though, right? Unless you've put on the headset. Yeah. It's so hard to describe. Like, Interesting comparison. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much the same thing, but it's cool that you're able to kind of take all these uh, disciplines and industries and package them together. So like, what do you kind of think is like next? Like, what do you think is the future of these kind of things kind of colliding? Because I think that's where the interesting shit's going to happen. Um, I think it is, you, you know, similar to like what we were talking about a little bit ago. Um, it's going to be because people aren't going to be as connected physically for the next little bit and possibly for a lot longer than that, right? Like the COVID, like the COVID pandemic is going to beget people being moving further apart and be that becoming a lot more culturally accepted. So maybe it's not VR, but people are going to need virtual spaces to meet. Zoom sucks for social interaction, right? Like you've ever been on a Zoom yeah. call with like 20 of your friends and like no one could talk because it's just it's just a fucking chaos. Um, so, okay, great. Sprinkle in spatial audio. Great. There's user spatial audio all of a sudden, right? That's yeah. like the most basic example of that. But it's, you know, I think people are going to become a lot more, um, our generation at least, people are going to become a lot more, like be, get more into gaming. Like I always use my girlfriend as an example. Like when she starts the game, that's when I know that like, interactive media is starting to work you know it's like because we grew up in the generation of like everything's a film or a tv show and the film model is on its way out and the best stories now are being told in games anyways plus it's a place for you to interact with your friends right as technology gets better and and um you know like performance is better and that you could actually make things more lifelike maybe unreal engine 5 will will help to make like animating people's faces will be a lot better um, to the point where you'll actually be open to like meeting a friend full body and it feels a little bit more like an in-person interaction, right? Um, like an avatar will actually have like be emblematic of a person rather than just like an expression of them. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think that to answer your question where things are going, I have no idea. I'm a practical futurist, so I try to like not let my biases um, interfere with that. But I do think that, you know, this concept of the metaverse and like, which needs a rebrand, by the way, um, is yeah. going to be, um, yeah, where people spend a lot of their time. And and it's going to combine a lot of these things, right? It's going to combine blockchain for, you know, protocols as well as currencies, as well as like owning property in it. Um, it's going to combine AI. You're going to need, um, like in, in Snow Crash, there's this idea of like a daemon. You're going to need like all these reinforcement learning type um, at, like agents in there to like, you know, be a bartender, to be a security guard, that kind of thing. So, you know, think of it as like a really, really good, um, and, and, uh, not NPC. NPC. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like these AI characters. And I was thinking about that, man. It's like, you know, people are so worried about their jobs being taken over by like AI and automation. Mm -hmm. And like the first place we're going to see robots is going to be in VR. Like, I mean, yeah, we're seeing like these like Boston dynamic dog robot Mm -hmm. thingies, but like, where you're going to really see like what we think of as robots is going to be in VR, right? Like we're mm-hmm. already seeing that with chatbots at like the very lowest level, mm-hmm. just typing to them. And then the stuff that you're doing, it's like you're seeing like actual things moving and like trying to plan ahead. And like, it's crazy, man. It's crazy what will happen. Like you eventually, like you said, you will have like all the doormen of, of the world and all the people who are like doing cashier jobs and mm-hmm. transportation is going to be AI. It's just going to be automated. It's just, it's easy to program to a certain degree once you get there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be wild. Totally, totally. Like, I think that, I mean, there's the practical version of that, which is like, you know, Andrew Yang's, holy shit, we're about to not have any jobs anymore. Like, people got yeah. laid off because of COVID and, like, they're not going to get their jobs. Companies have gone far enough in automation to not let them back. But, 
yeah, a lot of those jobs, like a lot of the things that people value will be replaced in virtual spaces. So in some ways, like there's, there's, there's money savings there. There's the ability for people to like, you know, have VR headset or be able to like go online and not spend too much money. Um, but those, but yeah, like in, in definitely in like a metaverse or like a VR type experience, like those jobs will be the results. Those will be like bots. Those will be like really good reinforcement learning agents that just like know how to do stuff in different environments and they'll, they'll work, they'll like interoperate well with humans. Um, yeah, but you're right. Like it's, it's definitely a, it's, it's a scary time for sure in a lot of ways in that regard. Yeah, it kind of is. And I like, like, I mean, one of the reasons I did this podcast was just sort of like put this as a video diary Mm -hmm. or like journal of us chatting about like what's happening during this time. Like not just the technology is happening, but also the culture and society is happening because while all this is happening, man, like we're being forced inside. Like I started this podcast shortly after like wave one. Mm-hmm. of uh of coronavirus of covid19 and now we're like kind of like approaching this like weird wave three we're in toronto at least just you know on monday we were kind of brought back into lockdown mm-hmm. you know so it's like we kind of have to really look at the technology that we're using to see if it's like is it being put to the best use right now because like obviously we have to like physically like be quarantined and and being kind of locked down and you know doing our social distancing but then how many people even have the internet? How many kids have not been able to go to school and like learn things? Which is one of the reasons I guess they're trying to keep all of the schools open. It's like, mm-hmm. like geez, man, if like kids couldn't even learn online because they don't have internet. I'm thinking of like some of my grandparents, they don't even have like a tablet mm-hmm. with like Wi-Fi. I'm like, so I can't do video calls with them. And it's like, you know, we're social creatures at the end of the day. We need to have these interactions. So yeah, I'm excited for VR and I'm excited for all these things to happen. But at a certain point, we're going to have to get back to like a physical uh, connection with people. Like I want to go to uh, music theater, uh, uh, music, um, not mu- uh, musical <laughs> theater too, but I want to go to like music festivals again. I want to go to like, you know, concerts. I want to go to Burning Man. I've never been to Burning Man. So, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll go back to it, but it's definitely a weird, scary time. And this year has just been like such a strange one for the mix of technology and like our social interactions. And I think most people are just starting to think about this now. People like you and I have been thinking about this for a long time, mm-hmm. but this year is when people started thinking about this shit because totally. it's actually been affecting them. Yeah. What happens when you can't go outside? <laughs> it's like a very yeah. dystopian scenario for sure. It but is. yeah, I mean, like it makes you like, this is a, a, like along my thought process of like why I, I decided that I wanted to leave transforms and like focus on something a little bit more tangible and something that like, I think actually will benefit the world entertainment could move mountains and inspire people and shape people's creativity their thought process their values and that's kind of what i've always seen in it story is amazing story if you go into like you know the homo deus way of looking at it stories really like every generation's had stories that really define them um and that's what people base like their their entire existence on right um but i want to do something that like i actually think will help people directly and um yeah like during covid you realize the people who are, you know, it's not the investment bankers or the lawyers or, um, you know, the people who are making the most that are the most valuable. In fact, they're some of the least valuable when you actually have to take everything away and really focus on the essentials. Um, it, it's it's the scientists, doctors, um, the frontline workers and so on. And that really kind of got me thinking, OK, how do I contribute to that? How do I do something a little, more, a little bit more meaningful for the world? Um, yeah. 
know, and that was when there. you decided to go into psychedelics. That's when you're like, hey, I think psychedelics is that space. Yeah, I mean, uh, the psychedelics thing came along a little bit later. Like that was like a nice, pleasant mm-hmm. surprise. Like there were a lot of different ways that I had shaped like what I'd work on, um, what mm-hmm. I wanted to work on. And obviously there's like the getting a job process in that, right? Like, yep. it's, you know, like not most companies are not social enterprises. Like it's really tough to find something that like actually helps. It's the icky guy, right? It's like the thing that you're good at, the thing that pays the thing that helps the world and the thing that you like doing. And most people don't get to be there. And so I think I'm, I'm fortunate to have been able to like, you know, I've got at least gone as close to that as I can with psychedelics. That's awesome. Is, has that just been always something that you found like super interesting or is it just like after experiencing it, you're like, Hey, I know this could help people, uh, not just myself. And is that kind of like your thought process behind it was like, Hey, I'm, and, and also like, sort of like, what is the part that you think you can contribute most within that sphere? Because there's so many different things you can actually do, right? You could almost, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm thinking of like even the marketing people who eventually event, find ways to market it to people who would never, ever try it, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, what do you do with the people when you know, like this thing could help them? Like, okay, you could just take this thing, not a pill per se, not trying to put a pill down, but it's like, hey, if you try this thing, it will help in some sense. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when the fuck is going to kick in and then give them a couple hours and they'll come out of that a totally different person. Totally, totally. So, yeah, I mean, like how I think that, um, I mean, I have, I have a lot of personal experiences with where psychedelics could have helped people. I have, you know, some friends that have had trauma. I have a little brother who's had, you know, a lot of problems through his life and, you know, he's, he's been in and out of like different institutions and um, he's tried many different pharmaceuticals and t- types of therapy. And nothing sticks. Nothing's been meaningful enough or like all these traditional ways of doing things. And a doctor says, hey, take mm-hmm. this pill or hey, you have this. I diagnose you. Therefore, you are this right. and you should have this, right? Where psychedelics is a more abstract way of looking at it. And the modes of therapy that are being created right now around it are amazing. It's, it's a way of looking inside yourself, exploring your brain, exploring your consciousness um, and, and approaching things in a much different way. And the results that you see, like when you start reading about like, trials and and um you know even if you've read how to change your mind by michael pollan it's unbelievable what happens with people and it's most people it's it's like the efficacy if you're actually calling it like the efficacy of a drug it's much more effect i don't know the way it it, it has yeah. a much higher efficacy than your average pharmaceutical people are responding to it and it's changing like it's changing their minds it's changing their lives um it's literally rewires the brain man it's crazy. yeah yeah and like yeah. and instead of just here take this cocktail of drugs and hopefully it works you know this yeah. is a lot more like hands-on and so i do think it's not just going to be like a big product it's not just to be like pharmaceutical um psychedelic products are going to be big there's a market there um but it's it's going to lead to a whole new branch of therapy different kinds yeah. of jobs um and people that are actually helping people like very on the ground helping people how i could help like I always thought like if I always thought if I was going to get into it, it would be somewhere between like, okay, like I'm, I've been a bit of a psychonaut before and I also understand the business side of it, right? Like what's happened to cannabis is like, it just got so like big corporate ties that like it's the principles, like, you know, like the whole stoner generation, either people, you know, all the people that had big grow ops before, they either got really rich or they're like upset about how corporatized everything got. Um, and that can't happen to psychedelics because that defeats the purpose of psychedelics, right? Like there has to, you have to hold on to that, like maybe not so much hippie, but like very like, mm. you know, the type of attitude that you take towards it, right? Like you can't have like, you know, you look at the sites of, of cannabis companies and, and what people, how people talk to it and how they're marketing it. And like, it's not the way that it is meant to be. If that happens to psychedelics, it'll ruin it, right? Like if you make mm-hmm. it a corporate product. So I always thought of myself as like, 
I hope to work in some kind of strategy where like, how do we get these products to market, but also um, not lose the value of them and not lose like the roots of them, right? Because you need that there. Um, but yeah, I mean, finding the right product, uh, the right market for that product, like not being a consumer product because it's not, and I don't think it should be, right? Exactly, it's, it belongs in uh, you know in 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 therapy in in yeah. the therapeutic world, like for sure. And how you relate to someone to try it too, right? Like, yes. I don't like it. It can't be touched too much by the farm, like traditional big pharma, because it's like you know they're all about pushing pills. Like you know, it can't be ever like you have to take this. That's not the way for people to have their first trip. Like they have to be brought into it in a certain way, and like every yeah. part, every piece of their like, if you want to call it a customer journey, has to be yeah. a lot more meaningful, and and you know they have to be very willing to do it. Um, yeah, so because anyways, it can go really bad, right? If they're in a horrible set and setting, if they don't feel right and they feel pressured, and it feels too clinical. Like it could be weird, you know. It could put you in a really bad mindset and could all go really wrong. So it exactly, needs to be approached yeah, yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, in practicality, like I'm on a really interesting side of it, which is like a company and a product that's going to really help accelerate the legalization of it, right? Like that's probably the most cool. important thing right now. Um, there's a lot of like even in Toronto, there's a ton of like citizen practitioners and like underground clinics that are like innovating on um, modes of therapy for psychedelics. Like they're really inventing ways of like how you bring a wow. patient through this. Like you know how many trials they need, what's the dose, had what questions Jeez. do you ask? Like how do you how do you do it? But they have to be so careful because it's still totally illegal, right? Like right, um, I was gonna ask for sure, hundred percent illegal. Like actually today, the first ever. I don't know, they shared it on, on our Slack today, like the first ever legal growth of, of, uh, of mushrooms happened in Canada, like the first ever legal harvest of, of mushrooms happened. So it's oh, happening. Like, you that's know, cool. Yeah. So you can legally grow it now. Is it just for medicinal use? Is that no, it was why? like one clinic was able to do it oh, legally. Like they, wow. they, they granted the first ever license or something for a clinic to be able to like grow it for clinical use. Right. So like there's baby steps is happening. I mean like Oregon just decri- or Oregon legalized it. A couple other states decriminalized yes. it. So yeah. that's kind of what happened with cannabis. It was like Oregon and then Washington yeah. and California and then suddenly Canada legalized the drug. So, you know, maybe it's a couple years away. Maybe it's, you know, whoever yeah. the liberal person that's running for prime minister next time, that's one of the things that they'll do. Um, That'd be really cool, man, cuz it's definitely there's no way it should be illegal. Like yeah, it should be sort of contained and like mm-hmm safely distributed and use like you don't want kids just doing it but dude i remember being in like high school and doing salvia that i bought mm-hmm. from a fucking convenience store oh yeah <laughs> and that was like 10 times crazier <laughs> than mushrooms man totally like, totally it's insane i'd like i barely smoke weed anymore and i i honestly am way more in control on mushrooms like that's not for everyone yeah. obviously mushrooms are a way more potent drug than marijuana but like i become very anxious on on, on marijuana on weed um with yeah. mushrooms like your average person they do mushrooms they're like that was super fun i'm not doing that again for another six months you know exactly like, at the very least sometimes never again they're like yeah, yeah i'm good i've tried it never need to do that again but yeah totally. i think people like you and i the curious minds were like hmm you know, <laughs> i'm ready for this again let's try something new and like you said do you go into it like with a certain not like destination but do you come up with a questions for yourself because you're saying how you use it therapeutically mm-hmm. I'd love to hear how you approach that when you kind of do it therapeutically. Um, usually it's like one major life decision. Like, I mean, I'm not like planning on doing it and therefore I have a life decision. It's like, I have a life decision and I'll take the day off of work or I have a weekend and like, okay, that seems like a good time. I'm going to go for a walk by myself or do it with like a certain friend. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, I don't like to prepare for it because if you try to prepare, it's never going to be 
the thing that you prepare for, right? Like you right. can't with, with, with this kind of with psychedelics, you just can't really make a plan. Um, you know, both recreationally, like when you're trying to have fun, you're like, yeah, like we're going to go to like the park or something and we're going to spend an hour. This, of course that's all what's going to happen. Like you're going to do a bunch yeah. of other shit. And if you try to approach, like, I'm going to try to like solve a problem in like a very structured way, it's, it's not going to end up being the way you solve the problem. So mm. why, why even try? Um, yeah, I don't know. Just that, at least that's my way of doing things. So you just go in it open, just knowing that you're ready for it, and you just go into it with no expectations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it, I think that's the way really to go set, about it. Totally. Yeah. Like, it's a tough thing to set expectations for. I've, I mean, I don't like to set expectations with pretty much anything anymore, right? Expectations are only meant to be, um, they're, they only lead to disappointment, pretty, usually. <laughs> yeah, they always say a happy life is just like, you know, the lower the expectations, the happier your life, which I think is true. Because if you have high expectations all the time, there's no way you can ever reach it, right? But if you have low expectations, you can always shatter it. But also, I think if you have low expectations, sometimes people shoot too low. They shoot for mediocrity. Yeah. Well, I think we're talking about here is not having any expectations, not having low, high, or anything, just having no expectations, just going into it. And I think that's a really great way to live and a great sort of philosophy for life. It's like, don't have any expectations. Yeah, I hope I could get there. It's hard not to put expectations yes. on anything, you know? It's like, it, yeah. it would be a very interesting person that literally goes into everything saying like, yeah, I don't like, whatever happens, happens. Like, I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, but I'm always the guy that's setting high expectations for like with movies. And like I was saying, I like to be the first. So I'm always like, yeah, yeah. like dude, this movie was amazing. And then someone's like, yeah, it was like good. Like it wasn't the best thing I've ever seen. Um, so I'm definitely guilty of like, setting too high expectations for other yeah. people for things yeah man that's why i stop watching trailers i don't listen to people if someone's like mm-hmm. hey i watch this movie that i want to see i'm like don't tell me anything please i just want to go into it because every time i've gone into a movie with like literally no expectations not expecting anything it's always been the best mm-hmm. like inception is one of my favorite movies for that exact reason and a lot of people will tell me like i'll might, maybe even get a comment on this like inception is overrated inception sucked for this this and this reason i'm like okay but like i went into it with like zero expectations and it blew my mind and i fucking loved it so personally i could say that because i had no expectations and it Mm. blew my blew apart my expectations so there's stuff like that all the time you know it's just like just go into an experience if you hate it you hate it you love it awesome the only thing better when you have no expectations and something's great is when you have high expectations and it's even better that's like the holy grail that now that's like so rare but that's like a what's it happened for you is there anything that did that for you this year I can't think of anything in particular that like it's been a while I think since like that yeah. that's happened. When was the yeah. last time you you had your mind blown like that that like something just destroyed your expectations in a good way? Um, hmm, interesting. I, I mean, when I did mushrooms in BC this year, um, <laughs> there you that, go. That was the drugs. Yeah. Um, right. yeah, I don't know. I can't think of like the last piece of content. Like I'm, I'm, I'm mostly thinking about maybe content. not content. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, like, I think if that mushrooms thing, I mean. Most of the time, doing mushrooms will blow your mind, but yeah. Here's one, the game was. Control, the, the video oh. game. Um, I had super high expectations. Like I had a, a 3D artist tell me it was one of the coolest games they've ever played and all this stuff. And I played through it in like a week and I was like, that's probably the best video game I've ever played in my life. Like it was just better than any movie. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. It's different. It's definitely not for everyone. And like they also built it for the PS4 when it's totally a PS5 or, and like, you know, next gen console. Like it's so glitchy and like has so many performance issues. And maybe that's why oh. the snobs Dude, were like, I got it on PC. I've only played yeah. like the first little bit. And that's why I knew I'm like, this game looks good. I'm going to get this shit on PC because I don't want to yeah. play this on a PS4. Oh, Although, yeah, man, totally. did you Good play call. The Last of Us Part 2 this year? I just bought it today, actually. No! Have you played the first one? Yeah, yeah. 
That's great. Okay, so amazing. the second one blew my expectations because a it is really good. Like it deserves mm-hmm. every good thing you've ever heard about it. Mm-hmm. It blew my expectations for the fucking amount of playtime. Like I pr- I played it like every night for a little while, and it took me twenty two hours mm-hmm. to play through it. It was long. I'm like. It almost like it blew my expectations in a good way, but because I was like, I wanted to keep playing. But also there was like a point where I'm like, okay, this could have been the ending. Right. And then it's like, shit, it just keeps going, keeps going. And it blows your mind. You're like, oh my God, it's way better than I could ever think. So yeah, that's a triple like play game. One. A lot of people sweated to give you that 22 hour experience. You know, it's uh... you have to think about that. How many man hours and woman hours it took you know and like months and years of people's just like their entire life years, was poured man. into like just putting in the grass and making sure the grass looks really nice it's it's crazy to think in context like what goes into your average video game uh production versus like a movie or a tv show like i remember someone left uh sequel location four years ago to join ubisoft and he was like in a game in stealth and i found out he was working on um what's the ubisoft game that just came out this week it's uh I forget. Anyways, he was working on Far it for Cry? four. Far Cry. Yeah, yeah, it was Far Cry. And no, it just, yeah, yeah, it was Far Cry. Yeah, yeah I mean, Far, something new dawn. I think it was Far Cry. Whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. it was. Um, yeah, and it just came out last week. So he just spent four and a half years on this game. That's like an amazing, like supposed to be a great AAA game, but it's not like this is not like a Last of Us or like a Red Dead or you know, it's like a mid-range AAA game. game. It yeah. took four and a half years. Like this guy worked on one four guys. and a half years to make this one game. You know, it's it's crazy to think about. Like you hear about What's Avatar the took them years to make and um, you know, like some of the Marvel movies have long production cycles, but yeah, like there's nothing like a game and there's also no nothing, nothing like the revenues that a game could access. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing the beginnings of it, right? I think that's the next mm-hmm. like level of this. It's like, there'll be a place for movies, just like there's a place for musical theater and like mm-hmm. live theater, of course. Mm-hmm. But where are people going to gravitate towards what's going to start taking the market share? What's going to start making the revenue? What's going to start stealing the revenue from some of these other models? Cause mm-hmm. people are only going to have so much money and time and like attention to give to content. Right. And it's like Netflix is starting to eat that up with all of its original content for like mm-hmm. TV, you know, Disney's doing it now with the Mandalorian, but like most of the time you're going to be playing games. And mm-hmm. I think like that's where I spend most of my time too. Mm-hmm. But also, this could be like a sort of bubble thing. I don't know. Because like you and I, like we're more gamers. We're going to do that. But I'm sure there's but still I, millions of people who don't yeah. even like care. <laughs> like it's weird. Well, it's it's interesting. Like I've always been a movie guy. And then the last like three, four years, like I always played games as a kid. And, you know, like, but I was never like a gamer. Like, a, and in the last three or four years, I've become like a gamer. And I've, you know, now played through like most of the PS4 classics and, um, but yeah, like things are definitely going there. What what do you think is the biggest ever media property ever made? This always surprises people. Like, what do you think I is the think highest grossing? I'm gonna go with like either like Marvel or a Disney thing. It's GTA no Five. Really? By far, like GTA Five passed that. It was like like two three years ago already. GTA Five became the highest grossing entertainment property of ever, and it's only getting like like they just made it, they just reoptimized it for the PS5 and for the next generation of consoles and like. People are still playing and 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 they're gonna buy it again. Like they're gonna probably buy it on digital and yeah. they're gonna keep playing it. Because I mean, GTA on- Online did that. If it wasn't for GTA Online, yeah, not a chance that would happen, right? You have these infinite like play, mm-hmm. play stories, like user generated stories. Like if you and I go and do a GTA heist right now, it's kind of like the hero's journey. We're kind of telling our own story, right? There's a yeah. beginning, middle, end, and then there's all the shit that happens in between, and then we can stop then to start driving around and chatting. Like it's crazy what yeah. you can do in that 
Totally, totally. But yeah, I mean, it's surprising. Like everyone thought it's everyone would think it's like Avatar, or like the Avengers yeah. or something. It's GTA, like which is like an R-rated, hard R video game that just appealed to so many people. They built a whole city in there, and people are actually living and spending a lot of their time in there. So you know, if there's any indication of like where things are going, it's something like that. Right, as like part of a, a multiverse, metaverse sort of thing, because. Yeah, that's one city. Like you're saying, it's literally just the one city. It'd be really cool to see how they start linking other cities. I hope that they just add on to GTA Online. It's just like multiple cities that you can travel between. That'd be so cool. Yeah, apparently for the first time, they released it in 2013, so seven years ago. Apparently for the first time since 2013, they're now releasing new parts of the map. Like they've wow. been good without that until this year. And now there's like, yeah, let's just like experiment. Like what happens if we open up these parts of the city to people? So it should be cool to see. That's really cool. I did not know that. It's super awesome. You don't see many uh, video games that can even do that. Like really, like I mean, they do a lot of updates with like some mm-hmm. of the content stuff, but like for like the map, like you're going to the same place every single time. Whereas with like something like Call of Duty, you kind of like need a new map like every couple weeks or like it's like people mm-hmm. will just start to abandon it. It's crazy. And I mean, that's I mean, that's something to be said about um, like the, the business model of video games, right? Like everything has moved over to live operations and loot boxes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like a lot of games will start to give themselves away for free for the most part. Like Fall Guys, right. first month was free on PS4, right? Um, yep. But it's really only like the real high end of game studios that could do that. Indie games right. can't afford that model yet, right? Like they can't afford, for the most part, I'm sure there's there's many exceptions, but they can't afford to like spend a ton of money on development, release the game for free, and then hope that they make their money later unless they're venture funded, which a lot of them are starting to be, um, or they just have had hits before. If you're a brand new indie studio, like and you're not venture funded, good luck doing that. And it's unfortunate because that's where the money's being made right now. Yeah, I mean, it's like we're seeing that with everything, right? It's only like the biggest 1% of any kind of industry is taking over. Like even retail now, like we're just seeing like mm. Amazon just fucking taking all the market share and all these smaller companies just dying away like it's just this it's wild that you're just seeing that across the industry this year it's like not just games not just movies it's like everything is just being i don't know if this is the right term for it but everything's just being condensed into like just like the small play small amount of really big players right like Mm -hmm. you're getting monopolies on oh god stupid (laughs) amounts like i'm i'm a capitalist too right and i don't mind like investing in these but like when you start seeing how like the small amount of companies are just like taking over it pisses me off actually like mm-hmm. we're seeing companies like oculus and already doing that blatantly stealing ideas and games from their own developers building themselves and then fucking shadow banning them basically mm-hmm. and like how can you support a fucking ecosystem that way when you're just taking everything from them? We see Amazon doing that as well, like well, mm-hmm. with all their Amazon basics. They see like a really good merchant doing really well. Oh, great. We'll make that ourselves and just put Amazon basics on and just destroy you. Let's just put the price down like 10% of what you're charging and just destroy you. Like it's it's unbelievable, man. I, I, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, have you been have you been noticing that too? Or is it just me getting all cranky from monopolies? No, I mean, it's, it's true, man. Like, I think that like film and uh, and music are two really, really strong yeah. examples of that. Like, it's, it's really in the last 10 years. Um, they've all like those industries have always been like that to a certain extent. And so same with any industry, there's always like an industry that becomes a monopoly and or a company that becomes a monopoly in a certain industry and has market power to be able to do whatever they want. And like, starts taking the things that are working for other um you know our disruptors and other new companies and and just kind of screwing them over um but yeah like film it happens because it used to be that the model of making an indie film was 
um, you know, you get some funding or it's very much like a grassroots effort, family, friends, and you have like one little investor and you bring it to Sundance and suddenly it's amazing and hooray, like mm-hmm. your, your careers, you're all on track. Um, there's still some examples of that happening, but now Sundance movies, no one's film, no one's funding a movie unless you have like a star in it, right? It's very rare to see, or unless there's some like, um, any, any movie you see is usually funded by a government. Canada has a lot of those. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like if you actually look into like a lot of work, like you'll hear about this new up and coming actress or a new writer or something. You look at their IMDb page, you look at their Wikipedia page, it's like, okay, so they're like their uncle, their aunt is Meryl Streep or something, right? It's very much like a nepotistic industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in terms of like where box office receipts are coming from, it's, you know, the younger generation doesn't, didn't grow up with movies and the two hour model for grown up movies isn't going to work for them. So now things are reverting to Netflix and soon you're going to start to see like, why are things two hours? I'd rather watch something an hour at a time and have better Mm -hmm. stories Um, with that being said with music what spotify has done is that it made the actual value of like any track it's completely disrupted like the traditional record industry model um you can't usually when you would make a song and you know you have overhead from the studio and then like you know you release an album a hard copy of an album and even with itunes you'd make some money on it um and now and then you'd eventually like pay back your overhead you'd make money and you're on track now with spotify you can't make money on that right so if you have a recording deal um, you're pretty much paying back money forever. Um, how do you pay back that money? It's from touring. Um, how do you, what, what's the danger of touring is that it's literally like a tax on the human body. And so you're starting yeah. to see like this middle class of musicians um, start to decline a little bit, especially with COVID where there's literally no touring going on at all. They can't make mm-hmm. money on their album sales, right? Like any artist that's getting signed now, that's like not a major, major artist has a real big hurdle to jump over. And yeah, I mean, and it's become like, it's the Taylor Swifts and the Sam Smiths and whatever of the world, the Cardi B's that are taking like a huge amount of the market share. So yeah, in entertainment industries, it's a little bit different than a lot of other places, but I do agree with like that Amazon, like Amazon just eats other people's lunch, you know, like Snapchat, same thing. Um, Snapchat actually buys companies, which is nice, but um, yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. At least listen in China, it's a lot more cutthroat than that. It's, it's, um, oh, yeah. Like, do you know about the Kickstarter, like the Kickstarter fallacy? I forget the actual word for it, but, um, no. for a very long time, anything, any product, any like hard product, like a physical product that got funded on Kickstarter, um, within like 24 hours would just get copied and it would be on Alibaba in like a week. Like, Whoa. yeah. So, like the Fidget Cube, like this guy, do you remember what happened with that? That was a Kickstarter. Um, right. Wasn't it the patent came up? Uh, with the oh fidget spinner I'm thinking of actually I, d- yeah. I don't remember the fidget cube yeah so I'm sure it's similar but pretty much like this thing got like a lot of money on Kickstarter um, and within a week of it getting fully funded they were already on Alibaba cheap knockoff versions that you could buy a thousand at a time right Jeez. meanwhile this like American company has to deal with like regulations and setting it up in a factory and you know d- like delivering all their orders and having to deal with logistics and it was just gone already right so Listen, Amazon's a pretty evil place, but there's nothing like the competition and like the ability to steal things like in China. Oh, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. it's on a totally different level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you're going to get that in anything, any industry and in any ecosystem too, right? Not mm-hmm. just like business ecosystems. We're going to see that in like um, out in nature, right? Just things just eating massive amounts of cell, cellular organisms and whatnot. It's the classic <laughs> 80-20, right? With anything. Totally, totally. So I guess you just have to find something new. So 
I know you're, you always talked about it actually just earlier on. You just, you just uh, kind of alluded to it, which was like, you're kind of always on that cutting edge of like, what's next, what's, what's next. And we just talked about, you know, there's always this like fallacy, like you said, the Kickstarter fallacy, where it's like, you can come up with the next greatest thing, but you're almost scared to kind of share it almost. Cause like, who's going to steal the idea? Who's going to steal mm-hmm. the idea? But I think ideas are a dime a dozen. I think it's obviously execution on, on how you actually do the idea or the project, mm-hmm. but I like how you're kind of always on the cutting edge because I'm the same way. I'm always looking out for something new. Um, well, maybe we have time for this. We'll talk about our notion because, like, I was going to do a whole screen share thing with you, show my we can do like <laughs> notion things. I don't think we have time for that today, but like, <laughs> we're big. I'm a notion nerd for sure. So I, I save so many like little resources and like tools and stuff. I have all these like databases. So, like, I always love to ask this question. Like, first of all, is like, where do you go to like learn new things and like find out about the cool latest thing? And then, what do you do to like either save those or just make it useful for later on to kind of recall when it becomes relevant? Um, so I think to learn new things is a combination of Twitter and just like 50 different sites that I try to either get newsletters from or subscribe to. Like I've had a subscription to Wired since I was 13 years old. And so like that's where I've learned a lot about a lot of stuff. Like it's just for me a tradition, like drink coffee in the morning and like learn about like, I don't know, something brand new CRISPR. Like I'm never going to work with CRISPR. It's one of the more technical things, but like I probably read a hundred pages about CRISPR from Wired magazines at this point. Um, and that just kind of like informs me about what's going on. And then therefore I can go down research holes and like also find places where people are doing research and talking about it. Right. So I'm a big, like look into communities kind of guy and see what people are sharing there. Like I'm part of like a bunch of different Slack communities, a bunch of different discords. Um, but really it's like the place to get news for me is Twitter hundred percent. Like it's, it's yeah. Like, I mean, on Twitter you have the discourse. There's no, like someone writes an article and then it just kind of lives in the, in the world. It's like, if someone writes an article, it's controversial. Like you see the discourse around it. Um, yeah. But where do I get like information? I don't know. TechCrunch is always a big one. Like that's kind of, you know, you could follow a path from TechCrunch. Okay. This company got funded. Why? Mm-hmm. And then you start looking into the background of it um yeah a lot of just like yeah i don't know a bunch of different places do it's, you have like twitter hard. lists do you follow like hashtags or anything like that or just purely from like people mostly people like i have a yep. couple of lists but like i don't you know i follow a few hashtags i follow a few like topics i guess you have them but yeah i don't know like i just I, i'm constantly curating who i follow on twitter like i try to keep it under 600 and like right. just like every time there's someone that's like stale or like they're not sharing good stuff i i they're, they're out within a couple months uh kind of thing yeah, that's actually a really good idea. I need to do a little trim up. I did that on Instagram recently where I unfollowed like <laughs> 700 people. It was like it was like a week's worth of work, man. Like just it's work, <laughs> man. Like, yeah, having our because our social lives are online now, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of have to constantly curate and like, I don't know, keep up with shit. It, it becomes a job, but I love to kind of like s- step away sometimes and just, you know, let it do its thing. But I, I totally agree with Twitter being awesome. Like, Man, this year was a huge comeback year for Twitter, at least for me. I think it was for a lot of other people, but I'm sure a lot of people are always on it. But for me, that was like my social network that I used the most this year Mm -hmm. so far, for sure. And it's been amazing. Like the people I've been able to meet and talk Mm -hmm. with, that was one of the other reasons I did this podcast. It's like you can, you see these people online, like, oh, they're doing awesome stuff. I see their tweets every day. What would it be like to actually chat with them and have an actual deep conversation for like an hour and actually talk about stuff? Because you don't get that on Twitter. This is what we're doing right now, man, is like the antithesis of Twitter, like quite literally the opposite of Twitter. But Mm -hmm. then then you have Twitter as the opposite spectrum of us just to get like little snippets. You get the discourse. Mm -hmm. You get to 
you know, basically read into the minds of people that you would never otherwise have access to. It's so cool. Totally, totally. Like I, I was never a Twitter guy until like maybe middle of last year. Like I've been on Twitter for like a year and a half pretty much. And it's awesome. Like it, it, that's where the smartest people in the world go to share their thoughts. Um, it's, it's great for discovery. It's great to like get your thoughts out there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It's, you're right. Like it's, it's, it, there's no such thing as a substitute for like a great conversation like that. And that's why like most of the great podcasts I've listened to are from Twitter also, right? Like Twitter is good at guiding you in the right direction for certain things. Totally. Do you ever get worried about like being in a bubble or like, you know, wanting to branch out into like different things or do you like, Hey, I have my interests. These are the types of things I'm into. And if I want to see breaking news, I'll go to the trending tab or whatever. Do you ever get worried about like having a bubble or trying to break out of it? Um, yeah, I think like that's a, that's a fair thought. Like it, it's hard to be worried about something when it's not present. And then you have to be very, like, you have to be very self-aware about where you're at, who you follow. Like, yeah. um, I don't know. Like, I think I'm just surrounded by a lot of different, uh, a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of different kinds of, a lot of different opinions. Um, so if I have an opinion that's formed by Twitter, it gets debunked really quick. You know, like oh, okay. I have, I have, I have my people that check me kind of thing. Cool. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, it's, it's worrisome for anyone. Like, I definitely think me and you, I don't want to say that like we're above it above is the wrong term. It's more like, right. I think that Awareness, we're, maybe? yeah, I think that we're both like aware. Like if I see something that is, you know, I have thoughts about, I'll th- you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to, I never just look at things at face value. I'm never going to be like, okay, this, this, this article is about this. And that's the objective truth, especially if it's like an opinion piece. It's always like, okay, where's this coming from? Who's writing this? Why are they writing this? Um, but a lot of people don't think that way. Most people don't think that way. And that's, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> obviously that's a whole different thing to talk about, but that's where a lot of problems in America are coming from. Yeah. Oh, big time. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy, especially nowadays where you said you don't, you know, you have to do fact checking everything. Everything is an opinion piece nowadays. You know, mm-hmm. nothing is the objective truth. It's someone observed something, they have their own biases, and then they use the filter of their own mind and their one perspective in this whole vast world and started to write it down in English, like basically coded it in a language that Mm -hmm. even in all the languages that we have on this earth is not the best language to describe things. Like there's so many different words that you could use to describe something. At the end of the day, you're just describing something. And then when someone reads it, they're interpreting it in a totally different way because they're reading that and they're stuck in their own bias in their own two eyes in Mm -hmm. one part of the world. So like, I think like stuff like Twitter does help you get different perspectives. This podcast has been great because now it's like, you know, I'm here in my little bubble in my little world. You're mm. out there in your little bubble in your little world. And now we can kind of connect. Right. And now we have like a little piece of like newness in the middle. Maybe totally maybe something I said totally uh, change your mind on something. Maybe you learn, maybe not even learn something, but like thought about something differently. Yeah. And then someone listening to this from both of us are going to learn something totally different or combine what we had said and make something totally different up in their mind. It's, it's really cool, man. Like we need to be doing that more, especially as we're being uh, isolated more and being stuck in our one perspective. Yeah. Like the sharing of like smart people sharing ideas is what makes the world go around. Right. It's, it, it really is. Um, and unfortunately you have a lot of things that are hurting that these days. Like COVID's mm-hmm. one of them obviously, but um, just a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people, um, not understanding the other side because of things that are not part of the conversation that they're having. It's something outside right. of it, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just yeah. thought, I don't want to get yeah, too man. deep on that one because that's a it's whole can of worms. Oh, yeah. but, that's yeah. a whole uh, 
that's a whole episode right there yeah, yeah i don't yeah, like to yeah, get totally. too political honestly with a lot of these things not just because like i'm afraid of it but because everyone has especially this year i found people have very very strong political opinions this year more than ever um whether it's just like their political stance on like wearing a mask mm-hmm. out in public i have rights or like you know just the polarization we're seeing in the states luckily we don't have from my perspective anyways i don't think we have that craziness in canada like we're a little bit more tame when it comes to politics i feel like Mm -hmm. if anything we got we need to find a way to get people more jazzed about politics in canada more than anything so i'm kind of grateful for that that our country doesn't get too passionate about uh politics like it's a certain kind of a religion or something you know totally like i mean it's it's always interesting to think that everything we see is like trump is the worst human being ever i don't understand why a single person would vote for him if you're a trump voter you're shunned right there's 70 million fucking people that vote for him right like there's the definition of a bubble there's a lot of smart like educated um like deep thinking people that have very good reasons for a voted for him and it's i mean there's a like like i said there's a bubble in itself and that seems to be like what people think of here um, you're not exposed to that kind of thing. And Canada's very like, at least the coasts of Canada are pretty singularly minded, right? Like even in Canada, listen, like we voted Doug Ford in. Like Toronto yeah. is like 75% uh, liberal, but there's, you know, same thing, rural versus urban, voted Doug Ford in. Yeah. Like there's people that have opinions on these things that we, me and you, like, you know, growing up and living our formative years in a city, um, you know, living in downtown Toronto, like we're not really exposed to it. So yeah, it's yeah. always good to keep an open mind to that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Is there anything that you do to try to keep an open mind, like different types of books? Or do you still kind of like follow, read types of books that like you're just interested in? Or do you ever find, do you, do you go out and find things that you're not usually interested in? Like, hey, I'm going to just take a look at this. Or is it sort of like, hey, I'm not interested in this. I don't really give a shit because I've been definitely stuck in that lately. I've been like, I'm only going to read things I'm interested in. I'm looking at my book list on Notion. And it's Mm. a lot of the same kind of stuff, you know? And sometimes I feel like I need something that's totally going to blow my mind because it's going to come out from, you know, totally different perspective than I never would have thought. Do you ever try to do that? Or are you just kind of like, yeah. So I guess I have a pretty particular thing that I do that with, which is like, I went to Jewish school pretty much my whole life until university. Right. Like that was partially by choice, mostly that like, you know, mm. by the time I got to high school, it really wasn't for me, but like it was to make my parents happy. And it's like, I grew up mostly around Jewish people. And like, there's this big, like, like, like Jews are the survivors and, like keep within the bubble and it's a very one track like israel is the most holy place in the world and you know like i always question that and that was Mm. the unpopular thing to do and i have lots of aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff that like literally like when i brought home not jewish girls they're like if you end up marrying this girl we'll bury you like you're not just like i'm just gonna not talk to you like you're dead to us kind of thing wow like it's, it's extreme like there's a lot of extremity around that kind of thing but anyways, yeah. like with these, I really unfortunately pal- experienced the opposite of that. Oh, yeah? I dated a, a Jewish girl. I didn't even meet her parents. That's that should say everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know totally. what I'm talking about. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, I just by nature, I'm a very curious person, and I always kind of was like, okay, like there's another side to this. Um, mm. Yeah, and I've, I've, I have, you know, I've read a lot into the other side of it. I have Palestinian friends. Um, and I'm like the unpopular opinion at family dinners where it's like, mm. you know, there's people are reading a certain kind of publication, a certain kind of piece of news. A lot of them are Trump supporters because Trump is Israel, um, which is also a very, very twisted thing to get into. But anyways, like Jews for Trump is a whole funny thing. But yeah, like I'm always questioning the things that are considered r- like normal and right when I think that there's a reason that they, maybe they're not right. 
Right. And I think a good word for that is like, you know, people have been saying it lately is like woke almost, you know, it's yeah. a funny term now to think about it. So like, man, I love to ask people this because like, like clearly, I mean, after having this conversation too, you can kind of tell like there's some sort of like the whole like awakening. You're definitely spiritually awakened, especially when it comes to like psychedelics and stuff. And people who've done psychedelics, their minds are definitely a little bit more expanded. But mm-hmm. like, I love to ask people this, like, when was a time that you felt like you had your like first like awakening experience? Like, did you ever have a time where you just felt like you were just jacked out of the matrix? Did you ever have a, a moment like that where you felt like you just like awoke from the matrix? Hmm. it's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> when did I feel like I was jacked out of the matrix? Um, Given the blue pill or whatever. I can't yeah. remember. Is it red pill or blue pill? I'm yeah. About this. yeah. Which one know. is it? <laughs> That's I don't know. We're gonna, comment if you know. Comment in the link below. I think that mine was more gradual. I don't think that there was ever like a holy fuck moment for me. Like I've had a lot of holy fuck moments in my life, um, but there was never like a, like a one thing that I'd rely on as a thing. Like a lot of them happened. I traveled for a year and a half after right. university, traveled to 22 different countries. And like, I had a lot of different moments of like, wow, this is very unfair. I'm so lucky that I'm, I grew up in Canada or this is a very different way of doing things that I'd never thought. Is it better? Um, and you start thinking about decisions you've made in your life and the values that you formed as a result. Um, but yeah, there's no one thing. Like, I guess in Nepal was like a big one. Um, yeah, that's a story for another day. But yeah, okay. That was, we'll save yeah, that like, for another time. Unless you want to so, talk about it or, or like a, that's like a, a Coles Notes story. version. Long, okay. So there's no Coles Notes. We will do yeah. part two and I want to hear the full story. I need yeah, to Yeah, yeah, totally. That, that's, a, that's a bit of a crazy one. But anyways, like without getting into that story, um, yeah, Nepal was very much like a, what rule in Nepal is, is they live like really out there in the mountains and the mm. value of family and community was unlike, they literally walk their kids for six hours to, to school twice a week and they leave them there. And then they're like trusting these people with their kids. Um, the way that they like community, like their neighbors have to help them. It really like the word community meant something totally different after that. And I got home to Toronto and it's like, okay, this is like, like, why is the sidewalk so clean? Like, you know, people are in these giant buildings in this city and you know, like they don't talk to each other. Like what the hell, you know? So there's, there's like little, but like once, like I said, it's one little piece of like a larger kind of like realization that I've had. I've, I've become a very different person. I think a lot of it's as a result of travel and like what mm. my values are and what I appreciate and like what's important to me. But there's never like a, you know, jack out of the matrix moment. There's just a lot of those like Nepal type realizations like, huh, this is different. This is a different way of doing things. Um, this word means something else to me now. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I think travel is one of those things that definitely broadens your perspective more than anything. Like if you don't have the opportunity to do drugs and do psychedelics and think travel is the next best thing to really like, you know, um, rewire the brain. Like it's, it's crazy what it does. Like it's, it's travel is such an, an experience for, you know, for the lucky few who can do it, especially this year. And hopefully mm-hmm. later on, like we're, we're able to kind of open back up as a planet and people can travel again. Uh, like you technically can right now, but it's just not an easy thing to do. And I think a lot of people are just kind of scared to do it. So I think, you know, the fear, the general fear in traveling anyways, I think has just been like expedited for a lot of people, which is just so sad because yeah. being able to go to like the other side of the planet a few times, like I know exactly what you're talking about, where it just, it blows your mind like nothing else can, just seeing mm-hmm. how, how, how big and expansive the world is and how people experience things. It's totally. Yeah. I mean, travel is something that, you know, like I, in university, I had the option, a lot of people in my program are like doing internships out of, or like getting a job out of school. And 
um, you know, going right into the workforce or going right into a master's. And for me, it was like, I was out of a one track mind. I was like, I've saved up enough money to get out of here for as long as I can. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get travel until every last penny that I spend. And I think I, there's no way that anyone's going to learn as much as me. And I think that I was right. Like in, in that period, no one learned as much as I did. And, you know, it, it's not as practical and it's kind of frustrating coming back um, after like traveling for a long time and seeing so much stuff and like everything's the same. You know, yeah. that's like one of the more fresh, maybe that's the matrix moment is it's not going, it's coming back into like, oh, wow, like I have, I'm so full of these other experiences and like I've seen so much. And then you're just like, take off the VR headset, you're back, things are normal. You're having the same conversations with your friends, the same jokes, you know, your mom's making you the same breakfast. It's like, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, that's what I mean. It definitely. It's like the, the matrix moment of like you're jacked out. You can see the outside of the matrix. And when you come back in, you're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, it's very weird, man. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of moments. Say, I have a lot of really long stories with that as well. Some mm-hmm. definitely do involve psychedelics, of course. That's like <laughs> the ultimate. I'm unplugging from the matrix for sure. Uh, but, watch uh, out for those mushroom shakes in Thailand, man. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, man. Uh, I feel like Canada is also a great place to to get some quality stuff. You know, I feel like BC, especially if you had a great time in BC, my brother has met some great growers there that he said he's gotten some amazing stuff there. So it's nothing like we could ever get in Ontario, I don't think, unless it's shipped over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. Listen, I've never had a hard time anywhere I am in the world. For some reason, it's pretty easy to get your hands on mushrooms. I don't know why. It's easier than weed sometimes. Like Maybe just just for you, man. Maybe it's just like you're it attracts you. Yeah, I don't know. You just know where to get it. Yeah, <laughs> I've done mushrooms like 15 times. I'm not, I'm not like this like psychonaut, but um, no, that's funny. Um, yeah, man. But I definitely, I think I've changed my my philosophy on travel a little bit in the last few years. Like, you know, I've been to 40 odd countries now and like, I'm definitely trying to give more intention to my travels and have more of a purpose when I go places. Like I've definitely, sh- you know, showed up white middle-class privileged Canadian kid in enough places. And it's like, Oh cool. Like I could stay here. Maybe I'll couch surf. How cool would that be? I'll actually get to like know people there. Um, but you, you know, it, there's, there's a little bit of an emptiness to it sometimes once you've done it enough times, like places start to go like, you know, run into each other a little bit or become very mm. similar. Um, you know, like suddenly you're in, you know, like somewhere in South America starts looking like Cambodia and you're like, okay, like this is all beautiful. This is all cool and all different, but like what's unique about this place? Like what, you know, like, and it's really like getting to know people and, and actually mm. spending time in a place and getting to know it. And so, yeah, I've definitely like when I do, when I'm traveling in the future, I don't want to ever like try to just get, you know, I'm not about numbers and trying to get two places. Right. Like, I want to like actually stay somewhere for weeks, you know, like I don't ever want to yeah. just like show up to a place for, and I've never really like, I, I always have a rule if I'm going somewhere, it's for at least three days. Like that's nothing too. Like, like mm-hmm. imagine going to Canada for three days. Like the equivalent of like you couldn't see anything. Saying, you couldn't even see Toronto in three days. Like you couldn't even see like a, yeah. You couldn't even see a neighborhood in Toronto in three days. You wouldn't understand what yeah. it's all about or like why it's there and then what the people are like and why they're different from another neighborhood, right? And like obviously on a neighborhood by neighborhood level is different than like a city by city or country by country. But yeah, like you get a small taste of it and your experience is so unique to like that moment in time and. Yeah, like I've definitely like the next time I go traveling, I definitely want to like live somewhere for a little bit. Um, and I've thought a lot of like I've, I've thought a lot about moving to different countries and like actually spending time in them um, instead of just like, let's go to Japan for two weeks and go to five cities in two weeks. Like, that's good. Yeah. It's fun. It's a great vacation. It's awesome. Yeah, like, 
I really want to, I badly want to go to Japan, but what if I live there instead for a few months? You know, like I feel like it would just be a lot more meaningful and a lot better. Yeah. And I think like nowadays it's a lot easier to do that with more people working remotely. I feel like mm-hmm. even last year, if you wanted to, you could have gotten a remote job. You could have gone freelance. There's all these entrepreneurs, all these people yeah. are trying to live that nomadic lifestyle. I have a friend that's, uh, I think in January, he's going to be living in Bali. Like just, he sold Sweet. everything. He's like, I'm just going to live in Bali and I have no return date. And I'm like, that's cool too. Mm-hmm. I love being in Toronto right now. I love traveling for like, yeah, the the vacation like you said i've been to japan for that whole two weeks and seeing five cities in two weeks and that's fun too because it's a great uh experience a great um you know like vacation as you say but i think it's it would be cool to live somewhere for a long time like like actually being forced to learn the language and like understand that culture and then you would have a full understanding but you know unfortunately not a lot of other white middle class guys have that mindset and ever want to do that yeah canada more than the states though man like you meet three times as many canadians traveling than you do americans probably more probably a lot more honestly um but yeah like i've definitely like fan you know romanticized the nomadic lifestyle quite a bit um and especially now like i just started a job getting paid nicely i love the job and i'm never gonna meet i may never meet the people that i work with right like it's definitely possible that i don't and they're already three hours behind like you know we try to make out of are they in bc Yeah, yeah yeah they're in bc um, and it's great. Like I, you know, I definitely have designs on living in BC, but it's like, I could literally be doing this video call from like anywhere, you know, like yeah. we, I have, there's guys from Berlin that are developers and it's like the BC to Berlin is like nine or 10 hours apart and they're still finding times that are working. You know, it's just like subverting your expectations of the nine to five, which I'm okay with as well. And you got to live wherever you want. Right. It's literally just about like what time you do your, like check your meetings during the day. That's it. Yep. That's all it is. And, yeah. you know, I think if you're lucky enough to work in a great organization that is asynchronous, mm-hmm. you know, you're on, you're on Slack, you know, you can get back to that message later on. You can record a Loom video or just a screen video. You don't have to use yeah. Loom. Um, that's not an ad for Loom, guys. Okay. <laughs> but Loom Loom's is awesome. Cool. Yeah. It's amazing. But whatever. I, I, I just like saying Slack. I'm slacking and Looming. You know, you have like now um, verbs for these <laughs> things now. Like I'm Googling something. No, you're searching the web but What's yeah like the silliest name of a startup yeah. that you've heard oh dude there's way too many i couldn't even think of google is definitely one of them but i hate the ones where it's like their words but they start getting rid of letters you mm-hmm. know like it's, that really pisses me <laughs> off it's like definitely a word but they couldn't get the domain so they just got rid of the e that's supposed to be there in their name <laughs> yeah. how about you do you have a really funny one that you've seen recently yeah um, there's one in toronto that's called cloop c-l-u-e-p the word clue with a p on the end of it yeah like if you're gonna have a start with cloop do k-l-o-o-p and like make it like theirs is like it's like a very like very nice professional branding like their website's very like you know it's as if the name isn't ridiculous like if you're gonna have a ridiculous name make your branding ridiculous they're like no like take us seriously we're cloop yeah (laughs) we're we're gloopity boop yeah (laughs) do you watch rick and morty of course yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, I feel like those kind of words, like this, like stuff. This, like, it makes no sense. Like the the fucking words that come up with that are just hilarious. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just what was it? Ju- is it Justin Rowland that does all the voices? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So he just comes in apparently just freestyles, just makes up words, <laughs> and they put it as part of the script. But it's what it is, man. People are like running out of words for shit. <laughs> and like, like you said, we talked about this earlier. This is great to go full circle to this. Where it's like owning a piece of the internet. The first mm. version of that was just owning domain names. Like that is like yeah. real estate for the internet and like the best way possible. Because totally. like you can't get Facebook.com. Like 
like the mm-hmm. dot coms are taken and then now there's like all these other td uh top level domains whatever tdlr or whatever tldr Dude, my name is taken my the dot com for my name casey blue scene not a common name as far as i know there's no other yeah. casey blue scenes someone has it i'm like why like right? why the fuck would someone own that like, like, they found out that i exist so they bought it like what an asshole <laughs> did you ever go on it and see if it was being used it's literally it just parking? like a, this oh. is it's part they parked it yeah it's literally just like this is owned by fuck whatever yeah. <laughs> god i was lucky enough to get my my own and then i got yeah. every other like top level because i'm like hey i don't want anyone else to have this fuck all of you other Josh Gonzalez says, I'm taking joshgonzalez.com, CA, fucking all of it. Good. Dot New Good. Zealand, I don't care. Yeah, state your claim, man. Like, it's your fucking name. State your claim. <laughs> yeah, but man, I love that. I want to kind of like end off because we're we're getting at about two hours. But totally, um, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we didn't get around to was because this just brought me back to staking the claim because you're... Um, you're kind of like me and like being like a really early adopter in things. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is just an easier question on this is like where do you go right now other than twitter to like find new shit to state claims like is it just like random internet searches like what do you do to to do that and then the actual question i want to be answering is like you use notion to what is your like process of storing all these things like do you save articles do you have like an app mm. for saving these articles to read later is it all a notion i want to hear all about it um i've gone between apps like i used to do like wonderlist and just save them right to wonderlist then i was doing evernote and then i was doing pocket and now like because like i use notion for pretty much everything like you if you're a notion nerd like you should see this new company and like they are like one percent notion users they're nuts everything the whole company's on there every meeting connected to every note connected to every person who they talk to it's, it's amazing it's awesome was that um, do you think that's a factor um one of the factors of you getting that job telling them that you were like a notion power user did that help do you think maybe yeah i don't know like um, i've already been and... exposed that like they're they're doing like high level like master notion stuff that i'm like oh my god like how many relational databases could i connect to this one database like i don't know like <laughs> when i put it into a template why does it like it's, it's funny i'm getting exposed pretty quick and i've used notion quite a bit but these they're like high level like that's cool. literally they call us like one percent notioners um Sick. it's funny it's i mean we were talking about how uh, what's that research uh platform that uh rome research uh, yeah yeah like they're actually a cult but there is yeah. like a bit of like a culty thing around notion too it seems like yeah notion's like a friendlier uh consumerist cult yeah. yeah, Rome Research is a legit cult, and I really want to have Connor on this podcast, the founder of Rome, because I need to know at, know know into like what extent they actually are a cult. Because like I said, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're building a fucking ranch in Texas. <laughs> like they're going to be just look Friend. it up. Anyone listening to this, just you're probably on Twitter too. Just hashtag Rome cult. Just just search it up and and I'll Connor, you if you're listening to this, <laughs> go on the podcast, man. It's awesome. Do it. <laughs> yeah, do it, man. From your we'll ranch in Texas. Psychedel- we're, no, we're going to go fly to Texas. We'll do psychedelics with him and then uh, do the podcast. <laughs> ranch in Texas is definitely one of the hallmarks of any good cult, I think. So yep, he's there well on track. Yeah. Flannel shirts and uh, Texan <laughs> yeah. ranches. Totally. Yeah, so, is, is, so yeah. So anyways, back on track. Is it, uh, is it all just notion for you right now? Do you save everything to like kind of like store uh, like research and like new things? Yeah, I'm like a Saturday morning guy. So like I'll literally put everything into an inbox on Notion pretty much. Or like I just have a page that I clip everything, like use the Notion web clipper and everything goes there and then it's ready for me on Saturday morning and it's satisfying. Like you read an article, bam, it's done. But I've definitely taken a lot more. uh, I've been trying to read a lot more as I find things, Um, especially because like um, there's like for most people, there's no thing as a nine to five anymore. If I'm browsing the Internet, I'm already distracted. I'm already taking a break. And if I see a 20 minute read or a 10 minute read, I'm like, 
okay, I'll read this and go back to work. You know, like I've definitely made a point of like kind of doing it out at, at the time, um, which is good because I guess when you save things, you don't get back to reading everything. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'll be like, oh, like I have the, you're, you're making your objective find them against each other. So it's like article one, article two, article three, I'm not going to read two because it's not as interesting as one and three. But if now the way I'm doing it, I'm reading all three. Um, right. So that's good. But yeah, like where I look for things, uh, yeah, a lot of tech sites like MIT Tech Review is always a good one. Tech Meme, uh, Business Insider before they paywalled the shit out of everything has always been yeah. a great one for like the, like the business world. Um, yeah, Collider for movie stuff. Um, what about for psychedelics? Where do you go to learn more? There, someone should do like a psychedelic. I mean, my Slack right now is good enough because like that. Is there not a, an, a credible news site? There's Twitter accounts. But like, I don't know. I haven't really looked into it too much, to be honest. Like there must be something out there. Um, But yeah, I don't think there's like one. Let's start a Webflow site. Let's do a fucking like little uh, publication. I'm down. I mean, there's probably Substack, so it's good to put it on the web, man. This needs to be found for the people and curate other news sources. Psychedelic news. There must be a uh, psychedelic drug news. Science Daily. There's no like what? Like if you Google it, there's not like a one site. Like if you Google VR news, you're going to upload, right? That's what I mean. Like there needs to be like an upload for psychedelic news. Yeah. Okay. But then there also needs That's to be dedicated people. There needs to be dedicated people that are like hundred percent of their time is like focused to curating yeah. this shit. I wouldn't have the time. I'd be able to, I'd love to build the site. I'll hand up. Maybe uh, you can find people who would be interested in just like doing that on their spare time. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm there's, definitely there's connected to a lot of those people. Yeah, there's there's so many communities like this. Com- this company that I'm at is like definitely a part of the community. Like I would be able to find those oh, yeah. writers. I think. Um, How did yeah, you I find mean, the communities? Where where are they living right now? Um, living online, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I mean, there's not like so much online communities as there are like research communities, right? Like, right. It's it, it's more. It's very much so in like the research and like clinical world. So yeah, like I mean, I'm still learning a lot about like where they're meeting all these people and like what even be pre-COVID, like what kind of events they'd go to, like where they'd find them online, that kind of thing. But there's right. so many people that are just like like loosely attached to this company that are part of those communities that yeah, I'm excited to learn more about them and what they do. That's awesome. Well, it seems like you're gonna have a great time there, man. It seems like um, you cross you crossed the path at the right time, like where they needed you, you needed that company, and it's just like the perfect fit. So. It's really cool that I'm getting really? you here um, within your first week of working there. So it's going to be really cool for us to like revisit this in like six, yeah. 12 months or something, six, eight, totally. 12, whatever it is. Hopefully and in person. Then, yeah. yeah, of course, right? To do it all in person and then be able to chat about this uh, a little bit more and just seeing how much more you've learned, how much more things has, have progressed. I'm sure the VR world is just going to progress even further. AI stuff's going to come out. And totally. who knows what else? Who who knows how many other crazy just like world events are going to happen between now and then too, which is insane. Honestly, like, I hope would have thought that this year would <laughs> like hopefully let's it just like happened. there's enough fucking world events this year. Like Jesus Christ. Like give everyone six months of like like let's just chill. Like let's just like have, we don't need anything like Biden becomes the president in January. Like everyone just take a three month vacation from the news. Like <laughs> Yeah, that's the I think that's the thing. Like you could make it feel like nothing happened by just avoiding the news. Like if you just didn't listen to the news or go on Twitter, like not that much stuff has happened. Like have you heard the story of that guy who went on like a six month sabbatical yeah. in the woods with no internet and then came yeah. back like after COVID. everything? He's like, What the fuck? Yeah. COVID. Yeah, there's so many funny TikToks about that. Like there's one of like this angel is there's so many great TikToks like this girl. She's like playing an angel and God. She's like, she comes up as God. She's like, 
Hey, Angel, so did you uh, set up all the stuff I had for you to do for the humans for the 2020s? I thought you said 2020. No, yeah. 2020s. 2020. <laughs> 2020s. <laughs> it's so funny, man. Like That's great. Everything that's supposed to happen in this decade just happened in this one year. It's yeah. crazy. So you it's know what? I don't either. Yeah. No, it's not, but which is also interesting. I think you and I are kind of of the mindset like I love this. I love how the future's coming fast. There's a book that I read recently. I don't know if you've read it. It's called The Future is Faster Than You Think. I read no, I that read right it. at the beginning of COVID. Highly recommend it. Um, check it out. It's from Peter Diamendes and Stephen Kotler. And I was uh, recommending awesome. it a lot like during the beginning of doing this podcast. It's great to bring this back on. Um, I'll put the link in the description for anyone else interested. But the future is faster than you think, man. It is an awesome book. I think you would love it so much. And it's one of those books where you don't have to read like beginning to end. Like Each chapter is on like a different thing that will change. So there's a whole... Uh, sector on just like retail on just like technology on just travel like it's amazing it's really really good book but um oh it's already on my list nice man (laughs) put it to the top put it to the top of your list and read that like asap you will sweet you'll not forget it so maybe this year it came out this year awesome yeah maybe maybe end of 2019 but definitely no i think 2020 actually came out what does it say on there do you have uh, a good reads or something up yeah i got it up let's see January 28th, 2020. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Man, highly recommend it. I'm glad I read that like at the beginning of COVID. It was crazy. Awesome. Some things that's like the opposite happened. Like they're talking about, you know, people wanting to more people moving into the cities. Like there's like in the next five, 10 years, going to see like a huge surge of people moving to the cities. But because of COVID and remote work, we're literally seeing the opposite, right? People leaving. So other than that, yeah. I would love to chat with you. So maybe in the next one too, we talk about that. But also Sweet. we could just do regular Zoom calls and just chat about it because I love to talk about books with people. So yeah man a little book club man so maybe love last it. i'd two love questions. to do a book club we should do yeah. we should do a book club. that's such a good idea let's do a book club awesome let's do it. i love it <laughs> man that's like the funniest thing ever like how many people are age like yeah first of all let's read like not many people it's like i don't know that many read a most book. people yeah physical book no an actual Never. book <laughs> a few of them here um, it's like a hundred yeah, times longer than my thing that i like to read <laughs> yeah honestly Anyway, so the last two questions, dude, uh, before we head off, because we're about mm. two hours now, which is awesome. I think that's like the sweet spot for podcasts. The crazy awesome, shit yeah. happens after hour one, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. So for anyone who made it to this point, or maybe this is a clip, I don't know, but <laughs> it's the podcast, man. Last two questions for you. The first one I have is actually on the book notes. What are you reading right now? What is on your list and what are you currently reading? Um, I'm reading Infinite Jest right now nice i'm giving it a go infinite jess is like the thing that people joke about is like the one that you want to say that you've read but nobody actually reads it like it's it looks better on your bookshelf than it does like in your brain um so i'm giving it a try i'm like on page like 50 out of like 1100 um i started reading charlie kaufman's book ant kind that's like very similar to infinite jest and i was just like i'm gonna read infinite jest because that's like the original for this um and then i'm waiting on psychology of money to come Nice. Um, which I forgot the author's name. Uh, his name is, I don't know, but really highly recommended by a lot of people. It's like very much like a book that's been like promoted by Twitter. Yeah. Everyone's is that a new release? It must've just come out. Yeah. It came out like a couple months ago and it was like backordered cool. at Indigo. Um, oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, so let me just check the author. Psychology Honestly, I, I default to getting my books on Kindle nowadays. And then if I love the book or I think it again, looks great on the bookshelf, I'll get the physical one, but mm-hmm. I usually default to Kindle. Just for like the notes, I have it all synced up into Notion and stuff. Like I have this whole yeah. system. Sweet. It's nice to have the physical book too. By low, I've been defaulting to Kindle. Awesome. So um, that is also on my list. So I'm gonna give that one a go as well. Awesome. Psychology and then a, of money. 
And then a really good one that I read recently was uh, Hacking Darwin. That's a pretty oh, much nice. about like gene editing and, and CRISPR and like like kind of half science, half philosophy of like what that actually means. So it's a scary one. Like, you know, if people are very scared about AI, I'd say this is like equally as scary, the ability to edit a human rather than the ability to be smarter than a human. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a whole debate for another day. But yeah, highly recommend it. It's like the whole background of like that, that, that kind of science, that strain of science. Um, yeah, I don't know. God, if you awesome. have anything to recommend, I'm always looking for new stuff. I mean, you just recommended me a book. Yeah, but, future's faster yeah. than you think, man. That's that's awesome. a good one. And then, I mean, I don't think you really need this, but one thing I be, I think I recommended on every single podcast, like no lie. I think yeah. that's why I'm glad I'm sneaking You have two copies in. of it, whatever it is. Buddha Dude, is a I badass. To, <laughs> the Buddha and the badass. That's sick. So this is uh, by the founder, already. The, mm. the founder of Mind Valley, Vishen Lakiani. Mm. Man, this thing is really fucking cool just read the back i'll just let this uh, there's a bit of a glare i uh, know i'm trying to make sure your there's no soul glare. print here we go here. something uh, your soul print is attractor unfuckable yeah it looks like the best kind of self-help it's pretty fucking cool it's basically yeah. uncover your soul print attract your allies become unfuckwithable activate your inner visionary build a unified brain upgrade your identity and bend reality it's just enca- encapsulates encapsulates everything I've been thinking about this year. And this came at a really good time. Um, again, that kind of like near the middle of COVID, I was going through a bit of a funk and this one was really good for like finding like purpose and like mm. sort of like on the career trajectory. And totally. I think like maybe like we talk about things coming at the right time. Maybe it's not the right time for you as you're starting a new job, but mm. it could be a good way to kind of like, I don't know. Um, maybe, boost your career in a certain way but it's definitely mm-hmm. for a great way to find purpose and we were talking about icky guy earlier mm-hmm. on i think it's he talks about it in that book so it's a great great like self-help kind of book sort of like a, on the tony robbins kind of spectrum but in a really more spiritual way like vision is awesome if you haven't heard of mind valley it's like a um a master class uh sort of like a new agey kind of master class it's amazing I, was I it you who mentioned mind valley to me or was it someone else someone just mentioned to me in the last couple of weeks probably me yeah. i feel like, <laughs> I feel like a, yeah not too many people know about them but i think they're finally on their on their come up yeah so highly vision. recommend that man yeah vision lakiani he's awesome sounds like a guru very guruish yeah, name he's yeah. he's a guru he's definitely a fucking guru he's an internet guru i guess but if you look at his story and like he has another book called um what was it called? Um, something extraordinary mind. Oh, the code of the extraordinary code of the extraordinary mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very guru-y. But if you read his story and you kind of listen to like his story and what he does, it's definitely a lot more uh, tangible and a little bit less mm-hmm. bullshitty than a lot of those gurus out there. But it's still guru-y, especially with his name. But sweet, um, do highly recommend it. Awesome, awesome man. And my last question, I love to end this off on every podcast, is after all this, we've been talking about so much, which is awesome. Um, (laughs) Of all these sort of things that you're kind of like doing, all these things you're thinking about and kind of uncovering and discovering, what is something that you're most excited about coming up in the near future? Hmm. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, kind of similar to what I was talking about earlier with like the ability to actually see um the results of my work help the world like it's it's you know i've I've really gone from um ch- you know change career trajectories to a certain degree um and been able to you know in, in the in the vision of 
you know, seeing the work that I do actually get applied to like a very meaningful thing. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see um, the world get out of COVID is, mm-hmm. you know, I hope that I hope oh, that yeah. things start to open up, you know, come February, March and how that's going to be and um, what's different about the world. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just very hopeful for what 2021 is going to bring. Like, you know, like you said, all of the bad shit for this decade already happened. So hopefully, hopefully. things are going to be amazing. Like, you know, I'm excited for, yeah, people to be able to hang out again and, and you know, what that's going to do. And people like, under, you know, people, most people I know have had some kind of like journey through COVID um, where they've, they've learned a lot about themselves. They've learned a lot about what's important. Um, they've changed some of their values. And I think that a lot of people are going to come out very, maybe not different, but having learned a lot. And I'm excited for people to be able to like share their ideas in that way after this experience. So, yeah. I How does that answer the question? Yeah, it did, man. There's There's been a lot of introspection. I think that coupled with more people sharing online and being open to being being online and sharing their ideas. I really hope that happens too, man. And I'm glad that happened for you this year. Like This was your first podcast. You yeah. shared so much here, man. I really appreciate it, man. Like I definitely Good. feel like I learned something and Good. I feel like new ideas were sparked. And that's why I love doing this podcast. I feel like if anything, new nodes were just kind of unlocked my brain. And I'm sure anyone listening to, to this, they probably felt the same. And I hope that's yeah, my only hope for this podcast. And you definitely delivered on that, man. Again, awesome, no expectations, dude. but it happened. So yeah. <laughs> um, I really appreciate it, man. I appreciate us having no expectations going to this and it just being an awesome podcast. So Casey, thanks so much for being on MindMeld. This was an awesome podcast, man. Awesome, man. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot as well. This is great. Hope we get a chance to, to do it again. Awesome, man. And if it's not in person, maybe we'll up the ante and we'll do it in VR next time. <laughs> All right. I guess I'm buying a Quest. Sweet. Do it, man. <laughs> There's it. one reason. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds good, man. All right. Everyone listen. Thanks so much. Take care.